a Good Conversation, podcast number five. Richard Maxson is a true jack of all trades. As comfortable as Richard is on the sidelines, he's just as comfortable in a research lab, dealing with Fortune 500 companies and elite athletes around the world. Starting his career at a local newspaper at 16 years old, by 19, he was a contract photographer at Sports Illustrated, and his career was just getting started. With his entrepreneurship and his willing to invent, Richard's career took off. My friend, Richard Maxson. Thank you for your time today, Richard. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Matt. Um, you're on my top 10 list, definitely who I wanted to sit down with, because they don't make men like you. You have more hats than one person should ever have worn. Yeah, I guess I need one of those hats that uh, uh, Casey Stengel wore, <laughs> where he had every the logo of every uh, team that he ever managed. You would have that hat for sure. I actually have the picture of that. <laughs> so tell me, what was it like growing up for a kid in Southern California? Um, I grew up in Santa Monica. We're actually sitting in the backyard of the house I grew up in. As a child? As a child, yeah. We've had this house since 1961. Wow. So this is, this is my place. Um, I, you know, growing up in the 60s was interesting because we had everything from um, the threat of the Cold War with Russia to landing on the moon to the, um, the politics of the time around the Vietnam War all of the stuff going on with now is called Black Lives Matter. So, you know, between 60 and 70 was a really interesting time. And one of the other interesting things about it is that was also considered the golden period of education in California. It was pre-Proposition 13, and it was just as the baby boomers were starting to mature. So from like 68 to, se to 78 was considered the golden, the golden era of education sure, in California. Yeah. Uh, and that so happened to be one of the golden periods of journalism. And I was lucky enough to be in a city that had a small-time newspaper that was willing to give a 16-year-old uh, high school kid a chance. Okay, but let's, let's take one step back. How did you find photography or, and I ask this, did photography find you? My Uncle Harry put a camera in my hand when I was two years old. And uh, we, I was born in Detroit. We had a very close-knit family. Harry was a photo buff. For my birthday or some holiday, he gave me a box brownie. Wow. The little thing that had the, it was plastic, and it yep. had the little, you know, little red window in the back so you know where your frame was, and it started then. Uh, flash forward until I was about 10 or 12, my father was one of the founders of the Seniors Track Movement in Southern California. Really? And he used to take me to all of these events every Saturday. <laughs> and he threw a camera in my hand, which was an Ansco Prado. And he said, here, take pictures of us. So I started taking pictures then. I, I guess it was about 10. Uh, when I was 12, I was doing stuff for the junior high school yearbook. You know, the typical maturation. I enjoyed the technology of it more than I enjoyed the pictures. Yeah, it was great to see the pictures come up in the magic water. Right. But for me, it was how did you make the magic water work? The part of taking the picture, I never really concentrated on. Okay. It just, that pretty much came naturally. 
what I did do was try and push the technology forward. And at the time, I didn't know that's what I was doing. Right, but even at an early age, you were already starting that. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got pictures of the first picture I ever printed on a little Ansco home printing kit. And you're actually <laughs> sitting exactly where it was first shot. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, I, I, I did the, you know, the yearbook thing and all of that, and it just, it just grew naturally. Right. And during that time, I was also building a lot of things. Already, uh, you were already oh, I, tinkering. I, just oh, not only tinkering. As my mom said, I started, I started building stuff in the basement when I was two. Just? Yeah, just, just anything. Just anything. And, well, believe me, I burned myself a lot with soldering <laughs> irons. Uh, the, the mere fact that I'm here talking with all the airplane dope and glue and lead solder and everything that I exposed myself through over the years, it's amazing I'm still, you know, have any cognitive response. <laughs> but I do. Now, did, did you take quickly to understanding shutter speed and aperture and the film ISO? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was, that boom. was, that was, yeah. So Don't forget it, when I did it, I was the autofocus. Right. I was the auto exposure. Yeah, you, you know. know it and you did it. Yeah, yeah. That's unbelievable. So now there's a little newspaper in town. Yep. And they say, we'll give you a shot, kid. Well, it was an interesting situation. Santa Monica Evening Outlook was a paper of about 36,000. It was published right down here. My father, and this all, a lot of this goes back to my father, was an assistant coach at Santa Monica College. Okay. So I had, I'd been going to their games forever. I had access to, to Santa Monica College and Santa Monica High School. So I started shooting games at Santa Monica High School and Santa Monica College, and after the game, I'd run home, and I'd process the <laughs> film, and I'd make some prints, and I'd drop them in the door at the Outlook. This, and they didn't have anybody there who really enjoyed shooting sports. Okay. Or I might say they might have enjoyed it, but they weren't really good at it. Now, what year is this? Oh, geez, 71. Okay. Maybe 70 I started. Right. I, was in, I was a junior in high school. Okay. And the sports editor liked my stuff, and they ran it. And eventually one day the managing editor comes up to me and says, you want to just shoot sports for us? And I go, yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. So they paid me minimum wage. And for about a year, I did that. And then they all of a sudden said, you want to shoot news? And I go, sure. So they got me, they, at 16, they managed to get me an L.A. Sheriff's pass. <laughs> and as soon as I got my license. Did it have your picture on oh, it? Oh, yeah. Oh, that little little yeah. face on there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, I started going out and shooting news. Um, I enjoyed it. And one of the other things is I started flying, taking flying lessons when I was 12. Okay. So whenever there was an aerial assignment, they'd send me on it because I knew, I knew the airspace in the area. And I'd go up with one of the instructors and uh, yeah, I scared the instructor a couple of times because <laughs> I did some things with the airplanes to get my angle that he didn't appreciate. But sure. at the end, he goes, oh, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> so... Um, I worked for the Outlook part-time when I was uh, 
attending school? I'll tell you, I was in, I was in, <laughs> yeah. I was in high school. Yeah, I mean, I was in high school. You're kidding. Or I'd get a call. You know, two o'clock. I'd get a call. I'd get a call back in the days when we had great relationships with the with the police department. I'd get a call at two o'clock in the morning and say, "Hey, we got a dead body at the uh, corner of Ocean and Alta. You want to come down and take pictures?" <laughs> so two o'clock in the morning, I'm out taking pictures of a dead body that was sitting at the right. Ocean Alta. Uh, the fire department gave me a turnout coat and a bottle, and I would go into the, I'd go into the building with them. Wow. The SWAT team would have a, a thing, and they'd say, look, just stay behind us, and you'll be okay. Here's your vest. Right. Go, kid. Yeah. Now, I decided that wasn't going to be my <laughs> career, um, but it was certainly exciting as a high school senior and a uh, college freshman. Sure. Now, what was your gear back then? You're just a kid, so it's not like you've got okay. tons of money. Okay. Um, my first real camera was a Miranda Sensorex. <laughs> a Miranda? Sensorex, 35 millimeter with a Vivitar zoom. That didn't work out so well for a number of reasons, so I bought a Hasselblad. Okay. So my first real cam was a Hasselblad. After that, it was a Nikon F Photomic. Okay. I had one of the first 182.8s in the city, which, by the way, that was the long lens. Yes, that was it. That was it. But that was a beautiful, unbelievable lens. Oh, Tack sharp. Great lens, but imagine shooting baseball at Dodger Stadium right. with that. Yeah. Old yep. Dodger Stadium. Old you were Dodger far back. Yeah, you used to rank, you used to rack that, uh, that enlarger way up. Yeah. Plus, you were shooting at ISO beyond the ISO. Right. Yeah. So, and Angel Stadium was the same way. Angel uh -huh. Stadium was closer, but the light wasn't as good. Right. And, and it was interesting. Dodgers had the best light in town. They had the first Sylvania Stadium lights. Anaheim was tungsten. The Coliseum was a mix of the two. Right. Depending on where you were on the field, you either shot tungsten film or daylight film. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so, your, how was it shooting with a Hasselblad back then? You know, shooting spot news or sports. Well, don't forget, my competition was shooting a Roly. Right. Okay. And strobe. Yeah. So yeah, I'm shooting Hasselblad and right. strobe. Yeah, I mean, moving to 35 millimeter was wonderful once they came out with 125 125th of a second shutter sync. Before right. that, you'd ghost with 60. Yeah. So you had to go with uh, a Roly and strobe. I still have the cameras sitting in the house. Oh. I kept them. But uh, Smart man. Well, so many guys let their first love go in a trade-in or a loss. Or... Well, I don't have the box brownie anymore. Oh, that's but nice. I have all the other ones, including my Instamatic 100 that I took to San Francisco in the fourth grade on a field trip. Wow. So at this time... You know, you're you're a young high school guy taking mm -hmm. pictures. Are you also taking pictures just like at school for fun, or was it strictly a work thing for you? Well, school was different because I was kind of the school photographer. Okay. But beyond that, I and even to this day, I don't I don't shoot pleasure pictures. Okay. Unless it's an assignment, unless I've got a specific reason to do it. You won't see a camera around my neck. I'm not one of those guys right. who just takes pictures. Yeah, the, some, and I think you've witnessed that. Yeah, yeah. But you, 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 you sometimes that that evolves, that changes. Like you might have been the kid who had a camera with him 24/7, and then as you get older, you're like, I'm just tired of carrying this thing around. 
I, I had it 24-7 because I was documenting my life in high school. Right. And we have, I, I put together a, uh, a slideshow. Now, now it's a video show, whatever you call it. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what to call it now. Multimedia show. Yes, multimedia. Of our class that we play at our reunion every 10 years. And it's about a 35-minute thing that has basically everything we did in high school documented. See, that's special for that class. They, yeah. they don't know how lucky they are to have someone that just, they cared enough to take pictures and kept them. Yeah, and, and the <laughs> I've still got the next. And the, <laughs> in, the more interesting thing about it is when I cut the show the last time for our 20th, I cut the show with a lead-in and a tail-out up to our 80th reunion, so I don't have to do it again. <laughs> Smart man, thinking ahead. So what inspires you now to keep moving ahead with photography through high school? Uh, oh, through high school? Yeah, so you're... you're, you're... I got it. Well, I, I, I went to Santa Monica College okay. because of... You know, that's what, that's what you did back then. Right. I mean, you went to high school, then you went to a junior college, and then you, you went somewhere else. Right. You found yourself. I and found went. myself. But even when I was in high school, I was shooting for the junior college newspaper. Okay. So what would happen... So my typical my typical weekend, um, and probably the reason I could never get a date, was <laughs> it was a high school football game in the afternoon, a high school football game at night on Friday. <laughs> Go do the lab work, turn it in. Saturday, it would be UCLA or USC in the afternoon, Santa Monica College at night. And then on Sunday, it would be a Ram game. So that was my weekend. Right. Okay. And by Monday, I discovered I hadn't really done all my homework, but I did manage to get through, uh, through high school oh. and college. And my degree, by the way, in junior college is in biology. Wow. Yeah. I went into the sciences because I was thinking of going, possibly going to uh, into a medical profession, but that never happened. I mean, it was like, here's my choice. Go work for Sports Illustrated or go, you know, go to med school. Right. So, hmm. Yeah. I figured, okay, <laughs> not much of a choice. Yeah. One's cool and sexy and the other one's a lab coat. Well, <laughs> one is I could go to school and be one of how many hundreds or thousands or it could be one of 10 right you know at the time sports illustrated i think had 14 contract photographers and five staff right that's it yeah it was a really tight-knit group yeah so what is you take pictures and you're enjoying them you said you loved watching the magic the technology right yeah at this point are you in your head thinking, I can make an enlarger better, or I, I can do this better, like because your your innovation. I will, well, yeah, I was actually doing it. Right, yeah. and that's the thing. You're 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 such a a person that can't just look at something without going. Let's make this better. Yeah, that's right. or. Was that, was that a curse a bit for you to, like, just let me just make the damn print? Or were you constantly going, how can we make this better, faster, quicker, shorter time? Both. I, 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 I was a reasonably good black and white printer. Okay. You know, considering my negs were so thin because there was no light, I, you know, you <laughs> really... had to be. Yeah, let's put it this way. Agfa 5 was a really great paper to use out of desperation. Right. Yeah, you had to do it that way. Are there people that are better than me as a printer? Yes, absolutely. Are there better mechanics than me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
But I've got a mix that I don't believe many other people have. Right. That that guy who's a better printer is not a better mechanic. Yeah. Right. So you you're able to do a lot of different things. There's some people they can't even just hold the one. Ansel Adams is probably one of the greatest lab technicians that has ever lived. Right. Try and get him to photograph something moving. Yeah. Not, not a real problem. Not happening. Yeah. Yeah, and I also had a couple of really, really, really good mentors along the way. Okay, and let, who are those? There was a guy named Roger Davidson who had a color lab uh, in his house that used to do a lot of the pro stuff around here before the big labs came around. I'm as closest to Roger as anybody I'd know. He built his own cameras, the Davidson Flex. He built what Peter Gowland eventually made, the Gowland Flex. Wow. Roger had the first really semi-auto... Well, it was a hand line, but it was very controlled hand line. He used to do carbro printing on an 8x10 and larger. Wow. He was a master. Um, he photographed uh, Norma Jean the day she became Marilyn. In the morning, she was Norma Jean. In the afternoon, she was Marilyn. At the studios in MGM, she was a model that they loaned to him for the day. Right. <laughs> For lighting tests. <laughs> yeah, here's this kid. Take pictures with her. Right. But he was also a master machinist. Wow. And he had a machine shop in his house like I have a machine shop in my house. Not that I always wanted to be like Roger, but it was it was proof to me it could be done. Sure. And there were things I could do he couldn't do. Right. Like I could shoot things that are moving. He could light things beyond anything. He was, he was a... Um, looking for the word... Um, same generation, same uh, group as Edgerton, who okay. invented the strobe. Right. Where there was the Edgerton strobe, there was the Davidson strobes. And it was, uh, it was very interesting to, to see the competition That's between the two of them. Yeah. Those are good mentors. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then another guy named Don Loritzen, who just turned 80 over the weekend, probably one of the finest studio photographers in the world. And he had a place on, on um, Sepulveda Boulevard at his house. He had a beautiful studio that he had just built. and became a customer of mine at my lab, Westside Processing, when we first opened it. And one day I was driving down Sepulveda. I saw him out in the uh, driveway, watering down the driveway with his typical shorts and flip-flops. <laughs> I stopped. Uh, it ended up a friendship that has been unbelievable. Uh, I used to build soft boxes for him. We had this track system in the studio and all of this. And uh, he'd go with me to the Super Bowl as my assistant. See, now, okay, you, you say that so nonchalantly. Oh, I built soft boxes. <laughs> you know how many photographers always bitched and complained they wanted a better light modifier, this and that? You actually did it. Yeah. So? I mean, it's like it's like I'm sitting on. I'm, we're trying to design this thing, and I said, "Okay, well, we're going to have to fiber, you know, blow mold fiberglass it." And he goes, and I, he goes, "Who's going to do that?" And I go, and I get on the phone, and I call him my buddy, and I said, "Here's what we need to do." And he said, "Okay, bring the design over. I'll bang it out for you next week." Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's but that's a special fire in your belly to go. We're doing this. I got an idea. I got a guy. Let's make it happen. There's, you know this. You and I have been around enough photographers that say they want to do a million things, and they never actually accomplish it or get done or take the first step. Well, I get bored quickly, and <laughs> I learned a long time ago the only way to get out of boredom is to just go ahead, forge ahead, and do something. Yeah. That's, why, that's why this whole thing with, the, with the COVID right now, 
well, sure, it's affecting me because I can't do certain things. There hasn't I haven't been to a sporting event since March 11th. Right, right. I'm hardly bored. Nothing's ch- not, nothing other than that has changed in my life. And I guess being retired helps. Sure. Because I'm not worried about the other things. But I'm also finding plenty of things to do. I started a new business right. at the beginning of the thing. <laughs> another one. Yeah, another one, which I didn't want to do, but I'm doing it because my customers want me to do it. You're the only man whose business card is the size of a postcard. It's, it's going all the I do this, I do this, I do I this. I do this, yeah. You've got one of the old ones. I've scaled it back. So, you from Santa Monica, you find yourself at Long Beach State. Yep. Now, is that when you've decided, I'm all in on photography? Now, or is there Long, still a... Long Beach State was because I promised my parents I'd get a degree. Okay. And the easiest degree for me to get was industrial arts education. <laughs> the easiest one was that. I'm, I'm qualified to become an auto shop teacher. Okay. So. All right. But so. my emphasis was photography. Right. I mean. So I had to take all of these photography classes, which created a minor problem. <laughs> and the minor problem was the instructors knew me professionally. Okay. So the first day in class... Bill Wittich, who was the photography instructor, right, starts reading the um, the roster. Everybody's saying him here, I'm here, I'm here. Goes to Max and Richard, and I'm like sitting up at the back, trying to be about as small as I can be. <laughs> and he looks, at me. he goes, "Can you come and see me after class?" I go, "Yeah, sure." I'm like going, "I don't want, I." <laughs> really don't want to be singled out. Like, right. Okay. So I go to his office after class, and he goes, what the hell are you doing here? And I go, I'm an industrial arts major, and my emphasis is photography, and I've got to take these classes. Right. Have to and do I, it. And, yeah, and I said, Bill, look, <laughs> I, I don't want to be made special. I don't want anybody knowing what I'm doing. There's a lot of reasons professionally I don't want it. I, you know, as soon as people figure here, you know, if they put two and two together and figure out I'm Richard Max and the Sports Illustrated photographer. And, you know, I'm 20-something at the time, 21, right. 22. I just don't want to deal with that. He goes, oh, don't worry, no problem. I just wanted, you know, just wanted to say hi, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Cycle to the next, next class. He starts lecturing, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and at the, every, at the end of every sentence, he would say, Richard, do you concur? And I'm like sitting there going, oh, God. And this went on for the entire class. Oh. And so at the end, I just went into his office and I said, Bill, this is going to work out. And he goes, yeah, you really don't need to take this class. And he goes, quite frankly, you probably don't need to take any of them. What the hell are we going to teach you about? You know, action photography. Right, you're working at yeah, this point. Yeah, what are we going to teach you about lab management? You own a commercial processing lab. Yeah, okay. So we, we worked out an agreement. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, you referenced that right there. And you say it's, it's again, so nonchalantly. I owned, you own a professional lab. What young man says, okay, I'm starting my own lab company. 
somebody who likes the technology. So how did that start? It was me and two other friends that got together and we formed Westside Processing. It was a small hand line uh, right about three blocks from here. And it was really a spin-off of Roger Davidson's lab because Roger was about to uh, retire. Okay, so you saw a need. Yeah, saw a need. And E6 had just come on, and he didn't want to do E6. Okay. It was He was only E3 and E4. Okay. And I said, okay. Well, this so explain the difference, because you know there's... E3, it's, E3 and E4 were complete completely different chemical process than E6. Okay. And you had to go to a higher temperature. It was much more critical to be accurate with your temperature and your timing than E3 and E4 were. And it was just better film. And this film came out right around the, uh, just before the 76 Olympics. Okay. In Montreal. And uh, one of my close friends uh, graduated from college and didn't have a job. <laughs> and another friend was one of the photographers at Evening Outlook who they laid off and didn't have a job. So I said, okay, we'll start a lab and all three of us will have jobs. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. So we did it. It was uh, E6 and black and white lab that we started with a $1,200 investment. And it was doing quite well when I closed it in the late uh, 90s. Right. And it closed because basically that digital took over. Sure. And I didn't want to. I was at that point, I'd gone to Kodak. I was on the East Coast. It was on the West Coast. I didn't want to try and manage the thing, you know, by coastal. Right. Now, having that lab, you know, obviously this is pre internet and everybody was taking pictures and everybody had a camera on their phone. How popular did the lab become? with the people in the area because that's where I first learned about you was the lab. Yeah. It would well, it was we were certainly weren't the only one. No, but you there was A and I, there was, you know, a whole bunch of them. Um we were the only one really on the west side. That's why we call it West Side Processing. Sure. And I kept upping the technology. We went from a very sophisticated hand line to the first computer controlled dunk machines because I built them and and we were the first to have that kind of stuff. Okay, again, you say it again. I built them. Like, what, where do you go and say, okay, I think there's a better way to make this process. I'm going to build a computerized dip and dunker. My head. Your head. Yeah. Now, no, I took the basic of what was out there and improved it. Right. But the computerized, I had a friend who was, uh, he ended up becoming one of my managers at one point, a guy named Bruce Muscolino, who could write code. So I said, look, here's what I want to change on the process to do it. He goes, yeah, I can do that. So he, he wrote the code, and we made it up with a, t, uh, uh, God, it was a Radio Shack Model <laughs> 3 with an 8-input-output interface and hooked it up and had, the, had one of the most sophisticated processing machines uh, around. And made it work. Made it work. Damn. Yeah. That's unbelievable. It's so awesome just to like have that in your head and get it out. Yeah. Well, you think that was one? It was my reinvention of Kodachrome that was uh, a little more. Uh, yeah, that was a huge. That, that's a huge one. Right. Yeah. So okay, take me to then because this is all in the same time period, eighteen to twenty-two. Where does Sports Illustrated start to okay become? Well, first of all. 
And, and did you take in Sports Illustrated? Did you get the magazine yeah, back then as yeah, a kid? Okay. Yeah, and I was also probably the first kid around who had pictures of Sports Illustrated people on their walls. Okay. But they weren't athletes. Pictures I had were of Neil Leifer and Walter Yost and Johnny Iacono. Right. And Rich Clarkson. Right. Who were my idols and became my peers. Yeah. And... Uh, I value that very much. And But the one thing that really happened was George Long, Long Photography. He, yes. he and Jack Sheedy were the uh, West Coast contract photographers for Sports Illustrated. Yeah. And I'd see these guys at all the games because I was there for the evening outlook, and I got to know them. George started using me a little bit as an assistant, liked me. Um, I, <laughs> and I got my first cover while shooting for George. Okay. It was a double truck cover of, uh, um, God, I don't even remember who it was, a USC running back against uh, against Notre Dame. Okay. When they came back from a 28 nothing first half to beat them 48 to 28 or something. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it was Anthony Davis. Okay. Um, was that with the 180? No, it might have been. I think it was with a 300-4-5. Ah, the old 300-4-5. That was the weapon of choice. Yeah, but because I was shooting it for George, he got the credit. Sure. And we still have this debate today whether he shot it or I shot it. <laughs> I went back and I pulled the, I pulled the slide out of the files at, at SI. And back then, we used to notch our cameras so you'd know which camera it was in case you had a problem. Yeah, when all the film goes into the bag. Yeah, it was right. my notch. Ah, that's great. So I got it proofed. But my the interesting thing about Sports Illustrated, because I'm doing all of these games, um, and I knew some of the people out here from SI. I guess I was 18 or 19, and they used to have this thing called, it's probably 18, they used to have this thing called the Highland Games for the Scottish, Scottish uh, right, people yeah. at Santa Monica College. And I'd go and I'd cover it for, you know, I went and covered it for the, the local paper, and I always kept a roll or two of color film in my bag. Uh-huh, okay? there you go. So Brian Oldfield, the shot putter, was throwing the caber. Okay. So I said, you know, this might be worth the, might be worth it because he had just set a record with the shot put. So he throws the caber. I make a couple of pictures. I come home. This is a Saturday. I come home, process the film. Now this is color film, color right. slide film. What was the film? Do you remember back then? <sighs> Ectochrome X. Okay. And I process the stuff up. I have a couple of nice frames. Sitting there going, all right, I can express mail it to them. So I put it in an envelope, express mail it to Sports Illustrated to the office of the senior editor. Right, I was going to say, now, do you have a relationship enough to... No. Ma- oh, boy. Just cold calling, basically, as I... Cold call. So I send it. They get it. I get this frantic call on Monday from one of the editors. Right. I have no idea sure. who it is. Could be anybody. Yeah. Uh... And they said, hey, this is great. Can we use it? And I said, do you think I would have sent it to you had I not thought you should use it? And they said, okay. And I think I've got the, the, I, I've got the check on the wall. It was 50 bucks. Oh, wow. They paid me for it. And uh, 
I, I like to say that was the beginning of my relationship with Sports Illustrated that has been going on now since then. So it's well, it's well over 45 years. Right. That's a, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So that, that's how I got my first picture in Sports Illustrated. Okay. So you never went the conventional route, make a call, meet the editor, send in a book. It was just an absolute cold call from an from an English or a Irish games or Scottish games. Scottish games. Okay, so that's my first picture. Now everybody has asked me, how the hell did you get discovered by Sports Illustrated? That wasn't it. Okay. But it is. But it is a in the door ballsy it's move. An in the, it's an in the door ballsy move. Okay. Now, yeah, but I, it is. By the way, I didn't know it was at the time. Right. You don't. When yeah. you're a kid, you don't know any better. Yep. If you're a grown grown ass man, you're like, well, I can't do that. Yep. So. Cycle forward. I've been, I've been assisting George. Okay. So cycle forward to about nineteen. Guess it was seventy six. Yeah, it was the uh, it was nineteen seventy six. It was the uh, year of the Montreal Olympics. Seventy seven. Nope. I don't know. Seventy six was Montreal. Yeah, I, I don't know. If there was seventy six okay. or seventy seven. Um. This league called the International Volleyball League, IV, International Volleyball Association, IVA, started. And it was a professional volleyball league made up of players from the Olympics. And they had like eight, seven or eight teams around the country, meaning California and El Paso. <laughs> yeah. And the LA Stars, I think that's what the name of it, played at Santa Monica College. Now... <laughs> I had strobes at Santa Monica College for basketball and volleyball because I used to shoot the events there. Heck, I had strobes on the football field. I strobed the football field at Santa Monica College. I can believe it. I mean, those things were dark pits back then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm shooting tri-X at F8. What was the, uh, what'd you have? What was up there? Speedos? I made them. Made them. Of course you did. Okay. Of course you did. So, (laughs) Speedos, what was that? You didn't need 2,400 watt seconds in a gym like that. You needed 100 watt second packs. So, let's made them. So, I go to this volleyball thing and made two, I like to think, career-changing photographs. There was this player from Poland named Stanislav Goshiniak. Write that on a caption. Yeah, right. Who literally flew everywhere. So I've got a picture of him about four feet off the ground, absolutely horizontal, with the ball at the tip of his fingers as he's digging it out. The Outlook ran that eight columns across the front of the paper the next day. (laughs) Okay. So, the PR director from the Volleyball Association gets a whole bunch of tear sheets, and he sends one to the volleyball editor at Sports Illustrated, who happened to be a summer intern from UCLA, who went to Santa Monica High School a year before me. Okay. She took it, walked the tear sheet into Jerry Cook, the director of photography, and said, hey, this guy's a really good photographer. I think he's somebody we should use. That's ballsy for her. Yeah. 
couple of days later, I get a letter from Jerry, which is sitting on, I got that on the wall too, <laughs> asking me if I'd be interested in submitting a portfolio. That uh, the picture was one of the best volleyball pictures he's ever seen, and he would like to know if I'd be willing to uh, send in a portfolio and possibly work for Sports Illustrated. So I threw together every piece of anything I had in this huge box and sent it to them. About a week later, I get it back, and you know that they were looking at it at lunch because there was marinara sauce on the inside of the box. (laughs) And now that I know the guys who did it, I can understand it. Sends me back a letter along with some Jack Fox envelopes, and he goes, I think you show great promise, and uh, my intention is to use you. So... Um, okay. About three days later, I get a call from Don Delaquanti, who was the assistant director of photography at the mm-hmm. time, offering me an assignment, and I told him I was booked and I couldn't do it. <laughs> that I'd already committed to somebody else. About a week later, I get a call from Neil Lifer, who was working in the office. And he goes, I hear you turned down your first assignment. I said, yeah. He goes, man, that shows a lot of... I, I, I mean, look... I know how big it is for you to come to work for us, but if you already had a prior commitment and you turned us down, you're great. I, I, I it's, I'm, he goes, I never would have done it, <laughs> but you did. I said, okay. Uh, so can you go out and shoot the uh, Yankees and Angels Saturday or Sunday at uh, Angel Stadium? I said, sure. So my first assignment for Sports Illustrated was, official assignment was an Angel game shooting Billy Mart. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I've been, and then that year I ended up working for them like 100 days. Wow. And the following year was 1978, Peter Miller and I signed our contracts on the same day. Right. That's, that's how you guys are connected that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's it was, special. It was a tough 10 years in the beginning. Sure. Yeah, we're competition. I mean, and Peter is no slouch. No. I mean, he's probably one of the best. But that was the best thing about that staff. You guys were unbelievable, and you competed against each other. We competed against each other, but in different ways. Right. Yeah. It was never mean. It was just the competitive alpha males doing their best. Here it wasn't mean. I right. can't say it was like that other places. Right. Yeah. So... You take your first assignment, it's Yankees Angels. What's your gear situation? I mean, it's not like you're, again. I had a 182.8, and I had a 500 F5 Pentax. <laughs> that was, that was, had a mount on it for Nikon. Okay. And That's your, all there was at that right. time. Right, and your cameras were? Nikon F Photomics. Okay. And I had one, and I had a motor. Now, did SI tell you we're all, we're all color film? Yeah. Okay. And what they? It was all Kodachrome. All Kodachrome. They send you bricks, or did you purchase? I bought it. Yeah, and just yeah. being out here wasn't practical to have them ship the film. Right. Okay. So they say we're doing a story on Billy Martin. That was it. That was it. Yep. And they say go for it. Yeah. Now, how do you approach that? Are you thinking horizontal, vertical, looking for the cover? Uh huh. I'm trying to make yep. something in the foreground. Him screaming and hollering. I don't pre, and I never have pre-thought an assignment. Okay. I just react. All right, interesting. Yeah, That's everybody's I mean, style. It's a little different. Well, it was funny because John Derniak, who was the director of photography at Life Magazine and a few other places, and was a, became a very good friend of mine. 
And he was interviewing me and he wanted to, you know, he wanted me to go through what my normal procedure was for figuring out what to shoot. Right. And he asked me, you know, so did you study the the tapes of the team last night and all of that? And I'm like looking at him going, you know, what planet are you on? No, I go out to the game, I point my camera, whatever happens, I react to it. That's it. Yeah, it's instinctual. That's your process. It's instinctual. Yeah. And, and some guys are like that. Do you think that's a little bit of your photojournalism background? I mean, yeah, I mean, at the time at the Santa Monica paper, just reacting to what happens, the body's in front of you, you shoot it to two yeah, in the I, You know what? I, I, guys run by you in Santa Monica. Honestly, I've never thought of it. And by the way, you've watched me shoot. Yeah. I'm about as nonchalant as you can get. No, yeah, you're one of those guys just kind of come in and kind of go. You're not running around crazy all over the place trying to kill yourself. Yeah. And it works. It's your style. It's it's my style. Now, you know, the question is, is is it good enough now to be like that? It worked for me then. It seems to be working for me now. Right. So. But the magazine's evolved, too. Oh, the magazine's gone. Well, yes. Yeah. Sports photography is not the career you'd get into today. No. Unfortunately. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um what attracts it's it and and this is going to be an interesting this is going to be an interesting statement that i don't know whether most people are going to understand i don't do it for the love of photography i do it for the love of being at a big event yeah i enjoy big events yeah there it's totally different yeah um do i enjoy making the pictures or taking the pictures i've never liked making pictures i've always said taking pictures because i'm not making anything i'm capturing what's happening so I think that's more taking than making. But when you really come down to it for me, you know, I made grouse and bitch and things about an event, but I don't want the other guy being there instead of me. I want to be there. <laughs> so, But that's the competitive juices. That's the competitive. Yeah. 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 That's fantastic. So, all right, 76 happens. You sign your contract. When do, when do you start feeling like you're in the club at SI? Never. Okay. No. Because you're out, you're, you're on the here. West Coast. Yeah. I'm on the West Coast. You and Peter, I don't know, is George still doing stuff at that point? Long? No, no. That was another, another, for me, hard thing because they dumped George and Jack and brought me and Peter on. Okay. And to this day, the Longs are still some of my closest friends. Um, I went to actually I went to college with Bobby Long okay. we both were industrial arts majors and Bobby <laughs> just passed away this last year so but I've been close with the, the Long since then okay yeah because I know I've, I've had this conversation with Peter and he was like we might as well sometimes felt like we were out in the middle of Russia I mean, yeah being on the west coast yeah it was always so different yeah but they the, treated you guys they different. treated us differently because they really didn't well they didn't sometimes they thought the west coast was anything west of the hudson right yeah and i'm on the island and i'd end i'd end up shooting football in rhode island or basketball in atlanta yeah i'm like going okay yeah you threw me three thousand miles to shoot a hawks game yeah i know <laughs> they did some really weird stuff with travel for us but no, and Peter and I were kind of exiled out here. Yeah. And at that point, we weren't as close as we are today. We're very good friends. Yeah. Now, but back then it was just, you know, both starting. It was competition. And right. Trying to get that phone call. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and fortunately, the editors back there understood what our strengths were. Okay. And I had no intentions of shooting portraits or set up pictures. I'm terrible at it. I just like going out to an event where it's there and I'm recording it. Okay. My first earliest photo that I saw, and I, I always used to look at credit, and I saw your name and I said, wow, was a volleyball photo where you built the court and yeah. shot it. Right here. Right here. Right here. Yeah, right where we're doing this podcast yeah. right now. That was the volley floor. Yeah, you were on that roof peak right here. Or, yeah. And you built. Yeah. A Would, floor. Yeah. Was it half a floor, a third of a floor? That was just a backdrop. Was it orange? It was or? orange. Yeah. Yeah. And I just said... Ron Wilde from uh, Pepperdine. Yeah. I just said, good God, that that is that is going above and beyond. That is unbelievable. Shot, so well done. Shot at 11 at night. And lit the whole thing. Lit the whole thing. Looks fantastic. Thank you. Did the neighbors wonder what the hell was going on? They knew. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's Richard my, again. Uh, our, neighbors, our neighbors next door knew me pretty well. <laughs> Oh, he's just taking pictures. Yep. Why did you? Why did did that happen? How did you come about and say I'm going to build a floor? That's what they said they wanted. That's what they wanted. Yeah, I was pretty close to the editors at Volleyball Magazine. Okay. And they said, "Listen, we want to do this, 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 and this." I said, "Fine. Where are we going to find a floor that's orange?" So I built it. Boom. Yeah. Done. Mm -hmm. What a process. Yeah. Well, you, there's also the volley wall, which was right here. That was set up to shoot multiple exposures. So they, I'd have all these strobes set up and go bang, 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 yeah, bang, yeah. bang, and they. Then <laughs> you'd go through it. Yep. So, when's your? You don't do Montreal, do you? The Olympics in Montreal. I did Montreal for Volleyball Magazine. Okay. From the seats. Was that where everybody was, or was anybody on the floor? We did. I wasn't credentialed. I was in ticketed seats. Okay. How was that? For your first Olympics, volleyball magazine, you're four, shooting... Four games a day. Are you shooting everybody? Yep. Okay. Four games a day, black and white color. And Ca color. Yep. Came back at night, processed the negs. You did? Yep. In the in the bathroom of the uh, of the house we were renting. Oh. And then go back out again at 8 o'clock in the morning the next day. And then I'd ship the... We, sh we hand-carried whoever came back to California would hand carry the uh, color film back. And Roger Davidson, the, my buddy lab owner, processed the film, would call, I'd talk to him and say, okay, how's the exposure? Don't change a thing, blah, 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 blah. Now, are you conscious then at this point of like how many roles you're shooting? No, so I didn't care. You're just banging. I'm going for it, making pictures. Yeah, I but shoot. don't forget the motor drives then were three frames a second. Right. And a lot of it was single framing. It had to be because the timing. Yeah, you're trying to get the hand on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, you don't care about anything else. Nope. Wow. That is just... Oh, How was... Now, obviously, Olympics in 76 is a whole lot different than Olympics today. Well... How... And just in, in, in terms of the pageantry and the security and coming and going... Now, rem was, now remember, that was the first one after 72. Right. After so Munich and the Olympics security, that's when it got amped up. And, you know, the buses were followed by Jeeps with machine guns. Right. Yeah. That feel real to you all of a sudden? This isn't Santa Monica? <laughs> Not really. Not really. I got, in a lot of, I got in a lot of trouble, though. I was going around... Good trouble or well, bad you're trouble? you're going to love the story. <laughs> um, so I'm going around just taking... I had a... We, there was a day that I was able to just walk around. 
That's always nice. So I went down to the Olympic Stadium, and I'm photographing a bunch of stuff. And there was a guy out there with tickets like this, and I photographed that and all that. Came back, I sent that stuff back to the Outlook, and they ran it, you know, saying, you know, the guy was scalping tickets. Well, it ends up the guy worked at a restaurant right around the corner from here and sued the paper. Because oh. <laughs> we called him a scalper. So I. But was he? Of course he was. Oh, okay then. Yeah, but, you know, he still right. made the trouble and all of that stuff. But, yeah, I learned at that point, if you're going to, that's that was a learning. If you're going to, I didn't call him a scalper, right. but I should have said, I don't know. But And, of course, of all the people at the Olympics in Canada, you find a guy in Santa Monica. I found a guy who was 300 feet from here. <laughs> it's good luck. Yeah, really good luck. It was a good picture, too. Now, were you supposed to go to the 80 Olympics? No. Okay. However, now why is that? They just yeah, we just didn't the I, staff. I wasn't, um, you know, because that's the, I don't know because that's the Olympics everybody forgets. They we only sent two. We sent Rich Clarkson and Jerry Cook. I thought um, didn't Heinz go? And Heinz, yeah, probably Heinz. Because I did think because he speaks Russian. Yeah, a little. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was never asked, so I didn't. Okay. You know, look, I, look, I wasn't, I wasn't going to press my luck. Sure. And then, but '84 was certainly different because uh, I was the uh, right so, director of photographic operations for the '84 Olympics. Yeah. And how does that come about? You're uh, still a young man. I'm thirty. Yeah. Twenty-eight. I think you were in your twenties, right? Yeah, I was in my twenties. Well, late twenties. There's this guy named Rich Perlman who went to University High, was a stringer for the Outlook doing uh, high school football on Fridays, okay. who became the communications director for the LAOC. <laughs> and he calls me up and he goes, can I get you to be the director of photographic operations for the Olympics? And I said, absolutely. And so I... Told SI, they pulled my contract back to like 20 days a year instead of 100. I ended up working 135 days that year for them anyway. And I went off and I did the, uh, I was, what, what's the equivalent today of the photo chief of the 84 Olympics? Now, had there had been one before in 76? Yeah, a guy named Albert Reedhausen. Okay. How- Albert Reedhausen of the IOC Press Commission, who became really close friends of mine, and thought when he retired, I was going to become the head of the IOC Press Commission for photography. It didn't happen. Now, did you lean on him and say, what do we do here in 84? No, he leaned on me. No, okay, we leaned on each other. Okay. Yeah, what, look, setting up these events is not that hard. It's logic. Right. It's like, here's where the photographers need to be. Here's where you can get the greatest, the best pictures. I'm not involved with credentialing. So, Do you, you have know, to deal with TV at all? Um, back then, yeah, yeah, you still need to... TV runs everything. Sure. So you get what they let you have. Back then, we had a little more choice. Right. But it's, it's no different. They know the way... Th- I, I'm very proud to say that the rules that they've put into practice today are the ones we wrote in 84. Right. Yeah, because 84, is that's when it became. 
an yeah. event. That's when it became an right? event. You yep. got John Williams doing music. It was beautiful. Uh, just the way TV covered it was different. It was just spectacular. L.A. did a great job. Yep. I mean, so how do you pull off that and still pull off 130 days at SI? And running my lab. Yeah, and you've got a lab at that time. I mean, good God, that's a lot of stuff juggling. Um, I'm good at multitasking. <laughs> Damn good at multitasking. The lab by that point was pretty much running itself. If I needed to be there, it was because there was a problem with equipment. Okay, so you're not doing day-to-day operations. And I had a good manager. Everything was fine. Well, the other thing, other thing that... 84 is my lab processed all of Sports Illustrated's film. That's what I was going to say. How did your lab aff- was affected in the Olympics? Did it made a lot of money? Right. Now, what did what was the process getting film to your lab back then in that for SI? Motorcycles. Just driving. Yep. Zipping around town. Yep. Everything was color. Everything was Fuji. Oh, that's right, because Fuji got the sponsorship. Kodak didn't. Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. That was Fuji's uh-huh. yep. foot in the door. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we processed something like 20,000 rolls of film for the two weeks. Right, because they, didn't they give it, out, give it away? Well, that was just SI. Yeah. Yeah, we would. Uh, you could go to the 10 compound. To 20, and... 10 to 20,000 rolls of film for SI alone through our lab. And Jeez. Yeah, yeah. That is an unbelievable amount of... On a, on a processing machine I built. Right. How much chemistry? I mean, did you... A lot. I mean, you've got to... One of, the, one of the good advantages I have, I've had good relationships with both Fuji and Kodak. And I had no problem with chemistry. I had no problems getting film. It was, was easy to do. In fact, after we had the earthquake in... Uh, Northridge? Yeah, the Northridge earthquake, which sloshed all the chemistry out of the machines. <laughs> I open up the door, and I just find this big green cloud of haze. <laughs> um, Kodak airlifted film, uh, chemistry to us that they didn't have on the West Coast. Wow. No charge. Nice relationship. Yeah. So what's your day-to-day life like in the 84 Olympics for those 17 days? Hey, yeah, yeah. A couple of hours was, of sleep in there. Well, no, it wasn't that bad. I um, get up in the morning, check the lab, drive down to the uh, main press center, figure out what's going on down there, figure out which events I could go to. Okay. And I was in really good stead with uh, a woman named Michelle Verdier, who was the number three person in the media part. She reported to Madame Berlou um, directly. She was also a translator. And she'd come up to me and she'd go, and my ex-wife who was my assistant at the Olympics. (laughs) And she'd go, Richard, where do you and Robin want to go today? And she'd give us tickets and if it's an event she'd go to, she'd get the car and the driver, and they'd take us, and we'd sit in the uh, dignitary section. That is fantastic. Yeah. And then I'd go down, and like I do today, and you've watched me do this at events, I'd, I'd get up, go down every once in a while, see how the photographers are doing, find out if there's any problems, if there are any problems, take care of them, and right. go back Needs up. Needs and to, wants, yep. what are you guys doing? Yep. How did you guys handle, like, the Mary Decker situation? 
Does that was that anything you had to get involved in? Because all of a sudden it became like an international incident. No. Everybody's going crazy. No, it's not anything a photographer caused. Right. No. 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 It's just that uh, all of a sudden it became a bigger moment in the Olympics. Nothing for you. Because <sighs> like Bennett had it, and Bruce Chambers had beautiful yeah, photos. Yeah, everybody. And, you know, and uh, um, yeah. God, how do I describe it? No, just another event. Okay. I think people were more. Uh, intrigued photographically by the marathon, the woman marathon runner who practically collapsed and was in a uh, a very harried state coming right, in. Right. Yeah. yeah. Schloss, I think her name was. Yeah. She was almost like in a cardiac yeah. arrest. Body yeah. was like failing. Yeah. And yeah. It ended up she was just dehydrated. Yeah, just dehydrated from L.A. heat. Yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> so, but it was it was no the Olympics were you know great and then because of that. Um, there was no question I was not going to go to the Olympics for SI in perpetuity because I had all the contacts. Right. Now you know, you're... Yeah. I'm, in fact, in 80, know people. 88, Heinz put me in charge of the operations in Calgary. He said, I want you to go up and make all the arrangements. Okay. I said, okay. So I call up my friends and they said, well, okay, we're, kind of, we're going to be there this weekend. Why don't you show up that weekend? Now, said, hello, okay. Richard. You're in town. Yeah. Now, I got to admit, that did go sour. And it went sour simply for the fact that they didn't want to play favorites. And I think they were absolutely correct with it. So okay. at the end of the day, I didn't, I got, at the end of the day, it was I'd only go to them if I couldn't get it any other way. And that they accepted, and I never had any problems, so I never really had to go to them. Yeah, you got to kind of know, you don't want to go to them every time no, for everything. No, 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 no. So was that your first winner? Olympics? Yeah, Calgary was my first winner. I didn't do Placid. Peter and I didn't do Placid because the director of photography was afraid that two guys from the West Coast couldn't handle the cold. Oh, of course not. God of course forbid, not. yeah. But wasn't wasn't that and I know I think I, I don't think I've had this story with you, this conversation, but I know I have with Peter. You guys got bit in the ass doing a game out west and then you went out to Chicago oh. and froze your butt off. Okay. Right? Because you just weren't prepared West Coast guys? No, here no, no, no. That's not exactly how it went. <laughs> Peter said he froze his little hiney off. We both did. Well there, it gets better. <laughs> so for some bizarre reason. Because you're deep into like Seattle or what? They had us do a Washington game in Seattle on a Saturday at Washington Huskies. Right. That technically should have ended at four o'clock. And that must have been beautiful light. Oh, it was stunning. Absolutely beautiful. It was November. It was late November. It was absolutely great. And for some reason, they put us on a late afternoon game in Chicago. The next day, it's west of the Hudson, right? So it's For it's their it's territory. West, yeah. So it's getting late. It's a five o'clock flight. That's or all you guys had, right? You, yeah, that was, that was, that was it. it. It was the red eye. Yeah. And so Peter goes, "Hey, look, one of us has to go." And I go, "Yeah, okay. You want to go?" I go, and he says, "Let me go." Yeah, you both can't screw we this both up. Can't go. And we talked. To, I talked to Corky Truen, who's the uh, the uh, Seattle photographer, and he goes, don't worry, I'll get you to the airport. <laughs> what is Corky doing? Okay. Well, he knows his way out. No, he does. Corky's okay. been around for a long time. So, the game goes, I think it goes into overtime. 
And I'm like sitting there going, oh, jeez. I make a great picture in overtime that the winning, I think it was overtime. I don't re- look at this. What was is, the picture? What was I the, don't remember. Oh, it's got to be a beautiful uh, one. Oh, it's probably that beautiful, that light. Oh, and the background would go black in yeah, that stadium because yeah. the roof line. Yeah, okay. So the game ends, get my gear. I, Peter gets to the airport, checks us in. My assistant grabs my gear, gets it to the um, bell, the the bell, the uh, sky cap, yeah, the okay, yeah. cap. I go running in. This is before 9-11. Yeah, this so is your OJ impersonation. This is my OJ. <laughs> go there, get there, just as they're shutting the door. Right, you're running down the skyway. Okay. He, that's what he said. He said you came in a hot mess. Yeah, oh, God, I'm always a hot mess. But I get in, get in, get on the plane, we fly to Chicago. Okay. Somehow all the gear made it. Somehow everything made it. We check into the hotel at like 2 in the morning. Of course, yeah, it's a long okay. day. It's cold. They're having a blizzard. In Chicago. I'm amazed the plane landed. <laughs> so get there. Next morning, get up and get ready to go to the game. Now, there was a third photographer, Walter. Ah. Okay. And it, I don't, it, Peter and I, for some reason, thought it was a playoff game. It wasn't because it was, it was late November. It wasn't. Uh, no, it's not playoffs it's yet. It's not playoffs yet. But I believe it was uh, Chicago against San Francisco. So Zagaris was there also. Okay. Okay. So, naturally, Walter goes to the game himself because, you know, Walter's not going to go to the game with us. No, 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 no. Yeah, Walter rolls on his own time. Rolls on his own time, blah, blah, blah. Love Walter. Well, if you thought Peter and I were unprepared, all Walter had was his leather jacket. He didn't (laughs) think it was going to be that cold either. He was a freaking mess. He was cold. Uh, Tom Story from San Francisco Chronicle coated his entire face with Vaseline. <laughs> you know, this is, people were into things. Now, they had the heaters on the sidelines, but that wouldn't do you any good because you put your hand down or burn your hand off. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. I fortunately, well, I don't remember whether I brought long johns or not, but I'll just tell you, it was cold. And what was the coldest part were your fingers. And it was so cold that the tails were breaking on the film. Oh, wow. That's when it, you know it's cold. So, one of two things. Peter said the reason why it was so brutal, it was unusually warm when you guys were in Washington, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Right, it was like this beautiful, unbelievable... 100-degree difference. Right, fall day. Yeah. And then you go to Chicago, and it's just wicked. Yeah. What was yours? Because, you know, today we're so spoiled with having, like, think tank bags, and everything is more specialized to photography... What was your guys' normal, or your, yours, personally, your normal like, carry-up-and-go bag? What was... What Dom, did you, a donkey bag. Right, that typical Donkey bag. bag, and my lenses were, you know, shipped in the Halliburtons. Right, that was it. Yeah. But no special shoes. You say long johns. That's pretty basic. Yeah. Yeah, and everything else... No special kind of, shoes. Well, like, you didn't wear, like, uh, you know, yep. North Face... $300. I don't think there were. Right. Yeah. Back then. No, I probably... Guys froze their tail off. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Mike Zagaris is the only person I know that used to wear football cleats. Right. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, he looked like a team photographer. He was wearing the gear from head to toe. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal. Oh, yeah. It was cold. And so you're trying to take pictures. You're snapping tails off of film. I mean, you're loading. Where, where are you keeping your film? Just in your donkey bag or in your on your body? Pockets. Yeah. Just, now, I used to have, you know, I used to carry about four fanny packs with different kinds of film in it. And when I needed it, I'd throw in a pocket to keep it warm. It didn't matter. It was cold. Right. The, the stuff was snapping off in the cameras. Were you a guy conscious, like if you were on frame 27? Yes. Boom, rewind and go. Get back to one. Yep. Didn't want to use those eight frames because you didn't want to get caught missing. You wanted to make sure that you had enough film in case you did have to pull the camera up, but you never wanted to do it. Right. You wanted at least, if you got the the action, you wanted to get the reaction. You didn't want to get caught sitting there going, yeah. oopsies. That's why digital has become so great. It doesn't oh. matter. you got an unlimit, almost an unlimited supply. Right. Yeah, and there's no way you go through 2,000 consecutive frames. <laughs> oh, it can be done. If you're walking around clicking it on your butt, sure. Oh, yeah, or you short out your remote cord. <laughs> yep, that's another one. Or you one. fire it before the horses get to the finish line at the Kentucky Derby. Oh, there's all kinds of ways <laughs> it can get screwed up. Trust me. <laughs> been there, done We've that. We've all been there, done yeah. that. Or they're imploding a building at Kodak and the assistant fires the camera off when he sees the pre-flashes going by time the building comes down there's no there's nothing in the camera or you've buffered it out yeah yeah yeah, that was a career limiting move on his part (laughs) career limiting how is your entrepreneur life at this point 80s. Where are you still expanding? Oh, in the 80s? Yeah, and ex- expanding. Are well, you, the lab... You the, got the lab. I bought the building. Okay. And we expanded. We, we originally rented half of it. We expanded into the other half. Uh, automated all of our processes. Started doing color, both Type R and Type C printing. And so we were a full-service lab. That's fantastic. Yeah. How many employees? I think I maxed out about 22. Wow. That is great. Yeah. Totally giving back. Back into the you know, lab in your oh, community. No question. Everybody knows you. No, and and we're um, it's top notch. I'm I have, and my politics were and they still are liberal. So my employees were extremely diverse. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. So through the eighties, how is your propelling in photography are you getting better are you evolving the gears now evolving what's happening all the above yeah um one of one of the advantages we had at sports illustrated we had first dibs at the new technologies that came out and so as the cameras came out like and we went from the f to the f2 okay okay so i'd buy four f2s go to the f3s i'd buy four f3s now explain the difference between f2 and three Technologically, for because there's some people never seen anything with an F. It's always been a D to them. Yeah, it's just isn't that crazy? It was it was features, functionality, autofocus, all that stuff started coming up. Sync at the F at the F4 we got the 250 right. Yeah, but we also had the FA and we had the FM and we had all that stuff. We would use consumer cameras or or Adams advanced amateur cameras if we needed to. In fact, the uh, the FM2 or FM 
Yeah, the FM2 changed basketball photography. Everybody became a good basketball photographer. Because you that? weren't shooting Hasselblads. Just Hasselblads are a pain in the oh. ass to shoot. First of all, they focused backwards. Right. For yeah. you, sure. Yeah. So, you know, that was tough. Uh, but then as soon as we got to the 35 millimeter stuff, everybody became a great basketball photographer. <laughs> everybody could Made focus. Made me better. Made me better. Got me to the final four six times. That's tough. And the NBA finals, dozens. Right. Yeah. So the 80s technology and you are both going in the same direction up. It's getting better. Yeah. You're getting better. Yeah. Are there any moments in that time with SI that that would that you saw yourself going, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm making great photos here. I'm getting good assignments. Because I was part of that where, like, you sometimes you got just a lousy assignment because you had to cover it and it died off. I assumed every assignment was a lousy assignment, and the pictures I made were luck. Okay. Uh, there's so many times that after a game, I'd call in the office. I said, "Don't expect much," <laughs> and I didn't want to set the I didn't want to set the level too high. Um, and then they'd call. No, stuff was fine. You had you know yeah, you nailed six, it. You, yeah, you nailed it. You know, but I don't know. Right, because you don't know. It's not like it is today when you know. As soon as you shot the picture, you can see which one is great. Right, you can see if you had bat on ball. Right. You can see if there's a bag out. Bat on ball. I mean, uh, I got a great story about bat on ball. So my daughter, um, Lauren, who's an editor for USA Today, is pretty good, pretty good shooter. So one day we're up in Rochester, and I'm talking with one of the local photographers up there, and he goes, "Hey, are you coming out to the Red Wings tonight to see Steven Strasburg, who was in rehab?" I go, who's, who's Steven Strasburg? I'm not a sports fan. Generally, I, I'm just right. not. And I go, no, but let me check something. So I called the editor at, uh, the assignment editor at uh, USA Today. And I said, hey, Steven Strasburg is up here on a rehab assignment. Any way you can get Lauren and I credentialed for tonight? And he goes, yeah, sure. So he calls up, and I've been to, I'd been to the Red Wings games three times in the entire time I'm in Rochester. <laughs> so I don't know anybody. I don't know the PR director. I don't know anything. But also that night, the San Diego chicken was there. <laughs> and oh, wow. That story gets better. So we're at the game, and I said, you know, I said, Lauren, I don't really want to shoot it. You want to shoot it? She goes, yeah, let me give it a try. So she grabbed, so we had uh, probably, I guess it was probably a four, uh, two to 400 zoom on a, on a, um, on something. It was on a, uh, you know, D, um, a D4 or D3. Okay. And we're sitting there and Ted Giannalis, the San Diego chicken, who I did a huge story on back in the day, sees us, and he recognizes me, and comes and does his shtick all over Lauren. You know, the whole the thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. After the game, we went up and, you know, he, he came over, we, you know, we got together, and it was, it was really kind of cool. But so Lauren sets herself up to shoot baseball, and I don't tell her anything. <laughs> She's making these great pictures of Strasburg pitching. She gets almost every picture she shot has the bat, the ball on the bat, and then 
she gets a guy getting beaned. Comes up to me, goes, Dad, this isn't that hard. <laughs> so I digressed a little he bit. He said, yes, sweetheart, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And then she edited, She went home, edited the stuff, and shipped it. And got used all over the place. Sometimes it's just that simple. Yeah. So are you... You, you said, you, you know, SI gets the first dibs on stuff. When did it become that you were using a 4 or a 6? Or when did the 7200 become popular for you? When it became available. Just when it became available. Yeah. You would take it in and try the gear. I just use it. Yeah. And there was no fear factor of like, oh, I don't know if I want to take a, no, a remember, 4 to... And remember, this is manual focus. Right. This is all man's work. This manual is, focus. Yeah. You had to know what you were doing. Well, yeah, the big lens that changed everything was the 300 f2. Right. For a number of reasons. One, you had an extra stop of light. And the other thing, you had no depth of field. Zero. Yeah. So if you weren't pinpoint on, yeah, probably the best pinpoint on accurate focuser I've ever met is Andy Haight. Yeah. I mean, this guy could shoot a 500... You know, F uh, 500 millimeter F5 F8 mirror lens. The guy was phenomenally good. Right. He was his his long jump photos of Carl Lewis in the '84 Olympics are legendary. Him just nailing image after image after image. Just some special stuff. Mm -hmm. Are you are you finding yourself in a niche where you prefer? golf you prefer baseball you prefer football or are you just saying we're good send me the assignment i good to go i was i was as phil jackie said the universal shooter he was the assistant director of photography he said if he had one person that he needed to send to an assignment that nobody has ever shot the sport before he'd send me okay because i react right because I know Peter got a little pegged into football. Like VJ got baseball. Robert Beck got golf. McDonough's baseball. I did basketball, all of them. But you just did it all. Yeah. And was there one you got more jazzed for, like championship boxing or? Yeah, I've done probably a couple of hundred heavyweight championships. There's nothing like the electricity of a heavyweight championship fight. Right. But, no, I never... We'll talk about that. What 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 big fights did you cover? Because in the eighties, Alley. Yeah, in the seventies and eighties, it seemed like Tyson. Yeah, they were monster events. You have Fan Man coming in. Tyson's biting I was, people's I was ears. At, I was at Fan Man when my assistant put his thumb through the shutter, so I don't oh, have the pictures. Oh God! <laughs> That's uh, was that the last time he worked with you? He was the best man at my wedding. <laughs> I haven't spoken to him since. <laughs> Did you do any of the, like, Hagler, Thomas yep. Hearns? Yep. Oh, good stuff. All of them. So. Oh, I did, uh, I did Sugar Ray Leonard's first pro fight in okay. Vegas. What's your, because you know now, now we Zoom, 24 to 70, 7200 Zoom, but what was your process of uh, shooting? 50, 50 millimeter F1-2. <laughs> Two of them. Two? So yep. you could just go back and forth, systems change and film. Mm-hmm. Tungsten? Depends on the lighting. lighting was. It Lots was mostly tungsten. tungsten. Yeah. Oh, that's unbelievable. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. So, all right. So, how does all this happening in the 80s, does the Kodak moment become? Because that's where... Okay. I, I see your name in the magazine, but now once that happened, I think that's a huge switch for you 
What, the going to, going going to Kodak? Kodak? Okay, going to Kodak? Yeah, well, as I said, I've always liked um, pushing the boundaries of technology. And there was this film that Kodak was trying to revive. And the way they were trying to revive it, I thought, was flat out dumb. <laughs> So you had the situation with Kodachrome where they decided they would put together professional Kodachrome labs. But the professional Kodachrome's labs were nothing more than centralized labs distributed out at other labs. Same processing machines, same everything. Didn't make any sense. In order for Kodachrome to survive, you needed to have local processing. So I decided to design a Kodachrome mini lab. And they didn't think that could ever happen. They didn't think it could ha ever happen. It could not, it could not be done, period. Now, what do you think their thinking was on that? Were they just stubborn, or did they not? It was typical Kodak. It is, they were just stuck in the mud. They were, you know, it can't be done because, well. It can't be done because they don't the, want it to be done, or it can't be done because it they, can't Technically, be. it can't be done. Okay, so I said, fine. I'll show you. Because yeah, so I, wrote, I designed the thing up, I wrote it up, I did all this stuff, I looked, I bought their processing manual, their K14 manual. And I looked at it and I go, this isn't that hard. The people, these people are just lazy. I was going to say, uh, they've gotten so lazy. Yeah. So I came up with a couple of different ways of agitating the film. Because what you had to do with Kodachrome is you had to run the film rapidly through the chemicals in order to agitate it, in order to give make it so to process because it had to remove all the byproducts okay so i said okay well i don't want to run this stuff at 100 feet per minute but what if i what if i figure out a way to get the chemistry to flow by it at 100 feet a minute okay and i did and what, what did you how did you i just designed a different i designed it was a tube within a tube that the film would go through at five feet per minute but the chemistry was flowing was, was flowing at 100 so you'd get the shearing off the top, and it would work. So, um, uh, yeah, okay. I, that just it, it boggles my mind that they didn't have a guy that was sitting in a basement by himself that was you, that was a rogue. Well, they ended up having him right. when they hired me. Right. But so I wrote up all this proposal, and I finally found somebody at Kodak that was willing, willing to look at it. This was, and this was right after... The Olympics in 80, the Summer Olympics in 88. Seoul, so yeah, Seoul. okay, right. And where they brought in this big Kodachrome processing lab and all of that kind of stuff. So, and I don't remember whether it was, and at the same time, I had gotten to know at trade shows the CEO of the company, George Fisher. Okay. And we became friends, okay. So I go back there, I make the proposal, and they tell me I'm crazy, and go away, leave us alone. Right, we don't need to hear from you anymore. It's no. not happening. Yeah. So. Because that's how I always heard. I go and refine it, refine it, go back, and I meet up with this guy, Bob Shanebrook, who had visited my lab and called my lab one of the most sophisticated labs he'd ever seen, blah, 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 blah. So he proposed it up, and he said, come on back. Go back, meet with a couple of people, 
And finally, a couple of people said, you know what, this is possible. Let's at least pursue the possibility. And push came to shove. They hired me as a consultant. We built the prototype K-Lab. Uh, the operating system, believe it or not, was put together by a guy named John Muckow, who invented the uh, equalizer, the strobe equalizer for SI. I knew John. I said, can you write this? He goes, yeah, I'll do it. So they hired him to do that. I got a consulting contract. Um, and at the end of the day, the Kodachrome processors, K-Lab processors, were the most stable and accurate processor of film that has ever been made. It was better than the release processor that they had when they manufactured film. Wow. So. And it was based on the, my replenishing system that I designed for my dip and dunk machines. Why, why were they so trying to constantly revolve that film instead of make newer film or something more? Kodak, Kodak, well. Or was Kodak. Technically, by the way, technically at that time, the ectochrome films were better than Kodachrome. Okay. But it was that, you know... Nostalgia? It was the nostalgia part of it. And I said, hey, look, if I can, you know, if I can do this, you know, this is, this is a hell of a challenge. So, you know, it was like, okay, so, so with Kodachrome, the first, the, the first developer has three parts. Part A, part B. And then based on whether it was... Kodachrome 25, Kodachrome 64, or Kodachrome 100, or 200, it required a different amount of iodide per roll. Okay. And also, if you push the film, you know, now remember, this processor was the first processor designed for pushing the film, and we used the re-exposure lights to rebalance the color after you pushed it, because when you pushed it, it went magenta. When you put it through one of the exposure lights, we changed that slightly to get rid of the magenta and put um, the complement in. So that's how we balanced out the film. That was another one of my, right. my things. So I'm sitting there with the chemists. I mean, all PhDs, all really smart people, right. chemical engineers. They said, well, how are you going to get around the iodide with blah, 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 blah? And I said, it's, it's simple. You map what film's going into the machine, and you inject the amount of iodide you need into the replenisher mix. And it was literally dead silence for two minutes. Just gasping. They had no idea what to say. People are not... The people that they hired were not problem solvers. Oh, boy. That's the problem. Yes, they knew how to do chemistry. Yes, they knew what the react they they knew what the surfactant level of this was. Right. But they did they couldn't they couldn't figure themselves out of a problem if it bit them. And that's the most important thing. So as Antonio Perez, who's the, the chairman, said about me at a meeting in front of a whole bunch of my peers, saying, "Yeah, we need more people like Richard because he can solve problems. Yes, he makes them, but he also solves them." Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean. You found a solution to a mm -hmm. problem that really, I mean, honestly, can you honestly say it wasn't that difficult? Well, the scarier part about it is they were doing it in other processes, but they weren't talking to those people. See, I had... Because they were so big. Yeah, I had, I had the luxury of being able to look 
down from geosynchronous orbit on what was going on in the company. So I was picking stuff up from the medical division. I was picking stuff up from copy products and all of that. And I'm just going, oh, they can do that. Okay, they've proven it. Fine. Boom. Make it happen. Put us together. Mm-hmm. So how does that decision be made? We're going out east. Because normally everybody comes out west. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty good friends with George Fisher. And every time I went back, I'd go back once a month to consult on K-Lab. Okay. And he and I'd get together for breakfast. And where would we get in bre- breakfast? Public cafeteria. So everybody knew that I was a good friend of George Fisher's. That was his, he did that. So we're sitting there, and it was like October... And he goes, um, what would it take to get you to come back here? And I go, what's the job? He goes, open-ended, agent of change, can do whatever you want. I said, make me an offer I can't refuse. We moved in over Thanksgiving. Wow. That's an offer. Yeah, and they, lo- they tried to lowball me. And I got well, out well. of your mind. I said, look, it, Fisher wants me there. No, I don't have a Ph.D. You already have enough Ph.D.s. And you have those problems. Yeah, yeah. And part of the agreement was there were four people that had to approve it. <laughs> Fisher, when it was going to happen. A guy named Carl Court, who was uh, in charge of all the businesses. Jim Meyer, who was the, the uh, chief technical officer. And one other. And I interviewed with all of them, and it was fine. To this day, Jim Meyer is one of my best friends. We're going to be right back after a quick break for our sponsor. All right, so let's talk about SI and the Learjet. Oh. Right? Because they had a fleet, and that's how they FTP'd film in the sky. They moved it around. Well... The, the one one thing people don't realize when they ask me what set Sports Illustrated off from everybody else, it was logistics. It was their ability to move film around. I mean, you could find photographers, but you couldn't find a way to get... If you didn't get the stuff back there, what good is it? So they had a logistics department that was unbelievable. They would... It doesn't matter where you were, they would get the film back. They'd find you. Yeah, they'd find you. Either you took it and you shipped it, uh, bought it a seat and shipped it. (laughs) (laughs) It happened a lot. And there were a few times when you would find somebody in the boarding lounge that looked familiar or looked friendly and you'd hand them the bag of film and they'd take it back and someone would meet them at the other end. And then there's always the legendary stories of the multiple Learjets that were flying back and, you know, around the country. And uh, a few times I, you know, as long as I had a Learjet, I'd get on it and fly back. And you built a... Okay. I built a flying photo lab for Time Magazine to process the film of Ronald Reagan accepting the presidency for a special edition. And they had to have the film by 9 o'clock the next morning processed in New York. And the only way they could do it would be to process it on the plane. So they called me up on Monday, the day before the election, and they said, can you do this? 
and I, I got the call from Arnold Drapkin, who's the director of photography at Time, and I said, sure, no problem. Hung up the phone and said, what the hell am I going to do now? <laughs> I can't believe I said yes to this. Um, Had it ever crossed your mind? Because you're a pilot. Well, the reason I was able to pull it off is, yeah, I am a pilot, and I knew who to call. Call Clay Lacey and say, hey, uh, here's what I want to do. And I knew he would, I knew his company would do it because they like doing that kind of stuff. So I built, I got a bunch of Coleman coolers and bunches of other parts and 12 volt car battery and a pump and had um, flowing water. We had. Uh, yeah, how much water? I mean, you we, gotta... took, we took uh, 40 gallons at 110 degrees. Okay. Now how are you get, how are you keeping it at 110 in in picnic coolers okay and we had a pump and a battery and we had flowing water washes at uh, 36,000 feet <laughs> and it was and it was a hand line that we we had the maximum capacity of 18 rolls okay that's what I was gonna ask no 16 rolls okay that's it and my request to the photographers were shoot it either normal shoot it at plus one shoot it at whatever you want but don't kill me but do it all at least the same neil lifer had seven different uh isos of course nailed it yeah yeah so which is which is not hard to hard to do it's just a pain in the butt right but so we took now are you doing the math at this point going i got a five hour flight how much you know time well no i knew it you know takes 47 minutes to process the film plus what the push times are so it's okay. not a big deal so we strip out the interior of the Lear and line it with plastic <laughs> okay put all the picnic coolers in there strap everything down everything is there ready to go Reagan sweeps the damn thing and it ends early so oh boy they get, and I'm figuring, you know, there's no point in doing it. I call New York and they say, no, just, you know, do it. Let's keep with the plan. So they get there with the film. And I said, you know, if I do it on the plane, I'm going to have to do it in a changing bag. So we found a bathroom that we can completely close off. I take all the film, load it onto the reels, put it into the... Um, to a, a can in reverse order because what you want to do is put the stuff with the longest time to process in first and then you keep adding the stuff as you go so you have to do it back you're basically doing it right. backwards get everything it's now about 8 o'clock 8.30 and we're flying east and this is and this was November this is November so I guess it was earlier than that it was like 6 o'clock so get everything ready I go and preheat everything by using an element out of a hot water heater to plug in and just go into the, the tanks that have got the uh, developer in it heat it up to about 103 degrees figuring it was going to drop we calculated the drop the night before get on the airplane I don't know whether you know what a Lear 25 is like I do it's a rocket ship yes he literally took off straight up and we just slid from the front of the airplane to the back of the airplane 
you know, and I'm holding on to the can of film that's all taped shut. Right. Okay. So we get up to cruising altitude somewhere around Las Vegas, and it's dark, and it's dark outside, and we've got the windows closed and all of that. I said, okay. Let's start in. Let's do this. I had one person there with a stopwatch, and all she was responsible for is timing. I had another person there just in case something happened, and he was there just in case something happened. So, I go to take the film out of the holding can and into the, into the can and realize it's a full moon. And there's light coming in the windows. So I say to the pilot, I go, we got a problem. Okay, first of all, can you shut all the panel lights off? Yeah. We got a problem. There's too much light coming in. He goes, will this help? Banks it at 45 degrees with the sun the other side. Sure. So no light. I said, fine. Every time I tell you to do this, do it. And that's how we did it. So we're doing big turns <laughs> while I'm putting film in there and we're agitating and all of that. Once you get past the uh, reversal bath, it's, it's, fine, it, it's sure. fine. So we get there, we get the first batch out and I go, hmm, how are we going to dry this? <laughs> Wait. I completely forgot about having to dry oh, it. Oh boy. Okay. So I said, oh, this will be easy. Also the problem is the height of the uh, Tank? cockpit oh. is, the film is five feet long. It's you can't go from here to here. So I have a wire that I string from the compass to the air conditioning grill. <laughs> and we take the film and loop it and turn up the air conditioning as far as we can go. And we freeze dried it. Oh. Yeah, we sucked, all the, we sucked all the water out of the, uh, out of the air, which sucked all the water out of the film and Done. dried it like that. So we ran two batches of film. Landed in Kansas City, and I call New York, I get Arnold, and he goes, how'd it go? It said, it's fine, you want me to edit it? And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, how'd it look? I said, it's fine. I said, you've got some really good stuff here. Um, see you in uh, two and a half hours. We took all the, all the equipment off the plane, left it at the uh, hangar, in uh, Kansas City and when they deadheaded back they came and picked it up because they had to go to Kansas City to refuel okay so that's how that happened <laughs> man okay so six or seven months later I get an emergency call in the morning for time they said have you been following the Sally Ride shuttle thing and I go yeah you know that they rippled the tiles taking off I said, yeah. And they've been doing everything they could to figure out if it's going to land properly. And there's a better story. And I've got a story to go on top of this once I'm finished with this one. We want you to take the, the lab to Edwards. And if they don't make it, cover the press conference, get on the plane and fly it back. This is a Saturday, so they needed it by, by Sunday morning. So I call up... Uh, Clay, Clay Lacey, and I got the chief pilot on, told him what's going on. He goes, okay, no problem. When can you be here? I said, I'll be there in an hour. Get all the gear out of my attic. Get <laughs> my friend, another friend, to go with me. And 
The pilot, we get there, we put everything on the plane. Pilot goes, okay, do we have clearance? I go, according to Time Magazine, we've got clearance. <laughs> according to the magazine, of course. Yeah, okay, fine. So we get up, and we're just leaving Van Nuys, and he calls, he calls Edward's approach. This is blah, 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 blah. Photo mission for Time Magazine. We understand it's been cleared. About two minutes later, yep, you have clearance to land on runway, blah, 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 blah. A contact ground control on this when you land. So we land, and we are immediately surrounded by military. Jeeps, <laughs> other things. This very angry guy comes up, starts pounding <laughs> on the door. And, you know, we open it and go, we've got clearance from Time Magazine. This has been cleared through blah, 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 blah. Right. Okay. After about five minutes of, are we going to be shot or taken to prison? Everything gets cleared up and they say, follow us. So we taxi behind this guy to base operations and they park us under a B-52 that's being loaded with experimental air launch cruise missiles. Oh, boy. Okay. We, they say, wait here. And we say, no problem. Sure, no problem. We're going to run around. About 10 minutes later, NASA press chief comes over just absolutely, totally pissed. Oh. And apparently Time Magazine did get us clearance, but not through his office. Oh, got it cleared from somebody higher up. So now you've got a plane, two pilots, two people that are not credentialed. So he says, okay, you know, you're here. So jump in the back of the Jeep and let's go to base, let's go to uh, NASA operations. We go to NASA operations where they take us and all the information Take us into the back room to issue the credentials. I saw a screen with my entire life on it. I bet. They knew your second grade. Well, they no, because they, I had classmates. Because I had LAPD press credentials. They had all. They had all the records. They pulled everything up. Okay. So it ends up, no problem. They gave us credentials. Nothing happened. It landed. It was fine. Uh, Sally, who I've known since she was in the eighth grade, because our next door neighbors were good friends with the rides, and Ride, the, her father was one of my history teachers at Santa Monica College, recognizes me and singles me out in the in the crowd, which was really kind of bizarre. So, we go back to base operations, and they have a rule that the runway is shut down for two hours after because. They just shut down the airport. Okay. Okay. So I'm sitting there, and this old man comes in in a flight suit, pissed off. Who the hell's the pissant that runs this place? Yeah, you know, right. Got to get myself home. Blah 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 blah. And so he goes up to the desk, starts yelling at this. You know, I don't know what his position was. Right. You got to get me the base operator, sir. I can't do that. Yeah, you can. So he keeps, yeah. Finally, this guy with more stripes on it than, you know, Red October comes and just starts yelling. I don't give a sh. He goes, he goes, I got to get home to my wife, blah, 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 blah. If Glenn Edwards knew how to freaking fly, this base would have been named after me. Was Jaeger. 
Chuck. It was Chuck Yeager. And I'm like sitting there going, oh. So this. this Living legend. Yeah, this colonel, this general, or what it if, dresses him down. And I'm sitting on the bench. He comes up to me and he just sits down. He goes, you know, he's a bunch of assholes. I got to get home to Glennis. I said, uh, uh, you're Chuck Yeager. <laughs> yeah. I said, uh, can I have your autograph? <laughs> no. Yeah, of course you can. So we started talking. We had a nice talk. And they finally clear the base. And he was testing some fighter jet for um, uh, Boeing. And he was on a tour. That's why he was there. Okay. So he gets out there. They clear him and all of this. And he taxis out. They give him clearance to go. He goes. Takes it off. Straight up. About 30 seconds later, straight down, upside down, six feet above the runway, just buzzes it and leaves. That's how I met Chuck Yeager. Told <laughs> that. That's why I would have, the base would have been named for me. <laughs> it's, it's quite true. It's quite true. Yeah. That's right. From Yeager to OJ. Oy. What the hell are you doing in L.A. at that time? You should be in... Rochester. No, we're still we're still here in You're LA. Still here. Oh yeah, I didn't move to Rochester until '96. Okay, so well, it was like okay, um, I'm uh, that morning. Uh, I get a call from the magazine. They say, "Listen, can you go up in a helicopter and take a picture of both houses?" Sure, no problem. Going up, I was taking helicopter lessons at the time. So I you just couldn't stop. I called I called my flight instructor and I said, "Hey, can you get over here? I'll, or I'll come out there. Can we do this?" He said, "Yeah, no problem." Out to where Van Nuys? I went to Van Nuys. Okay. Yeah, helicopter school was out in Van Nuys. So I had my lab manager take my portable aircraft radio and go to OJ's house, so I knew which house it was. So. You know, it was not. I thought I'd have a problem. No, there's crowds on both right, of them. It wasn't right. a big deal. But you have no idea. I mean, you're yeah, yeah. So I do that. Everything's fine. And Lauren is six months old. Maybe that. Maybe not even that. And I had a Corvette, and I had a, her um, her car carrier seat bolted in the back of the hatchback, so she had like this really nice seat and all of that. <laughs> So that night we go to LAX to uh, uh, drop the film off for shipping from the morning. So just as I get the, sh- the film shipped, my I had a cell phone back then. I had the big Motorola brick. The phone goes off. It's Mark Mulvoy, the managing editor. Now, Mark never calls anybody directly. He goes through the editor. Sure. But we knew each other, and he said, I do not care what it takes do you know what's going on right now? And I said, yeah. I don't care what it takes. I want you up in a helicopter. Find OJ and shoot the pictures. I go, okay. Is this morning time, afternoon? No, this is like four in the afternoon. Okay. Okay. And this is during the NBA Finals. So my question is, how did you not even get on the NBA Finals? It was New York. It was in New York. Oh, New York, New York and Houston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, right. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to do an NBA Finals in New York. Right. That's not going to happen. So I get on the phone. I call the helicopter service, and I said, Ken, 
I've just been told it doesn't matter what it takes, what it costs. I need the Jet Ranger in Santa Monica in 20 minutes to go chase down OJ. And he goes, I'll see you in Santa Monica in 20 minutes. So I'm at LAX. I got home from LAX in 12 minutes. There was nobody on the, nobody on the streets. Right. And, you know, I'm, as I'm going around these turns, Lauren's in the back going, wee! <laughs> I get home. I just grab whatever. I grab the 300, 28. I grab some film. I grabbed a couple of cameras, threw them in a bag, went to the pilot's gate at Santa Monica Airport, put my code in, opened it up, because if I had to go to the other side, I would have missed the thing. Call the... Uh, Call the uh, tower and I go, hey, Bill, it's Richard Max and I'm down here. Can I come across the runway of a helicopter pad? He goes, yeah, your helicopter just uh, called in. He's over Sepulveda Pass. He'll be here in seven minutes. <laughs> but we have a problem. Oh, boy. And I said, what's the problem? He goes, they're about to close the airspace. I said, okay, what does that mean? He goes, if he lands, he can't take off again. I go, okay. So I get on the radio with the pilot, and I said, how are we going to do this? And he goes, I'm not going to land. So I'll get about a foot off the ground, you jump up on the skid, and we'll just go. Right, you technically have not landed. And so we're getting briefings from the tower of where everything is. Right, because they they got all the chatter. So what they did is they shut off the airspace over the 405 at Century. Okay. So you no, not Century. Um, where the 105 is now. So all the other helicopters had to transition out over the ocean and come back around. When OJ came from LAX, I was the only helicopter on the on the north side of the airport. Oh, wow. Talk about luck. And I'm the only one with, with color stills. Really? From the air? Mm-hmm. Now, what are, you, what are you thinking at that point? Getting a shot, getting as much of the Bronco and the chase and the, oh, every, the stream? I, I had enough bench. time to do everything. Right, I mean, yeah. I was moving back and forth sides of the airport, getting ahead of them, getting behind them, all of that. Get wide, get tight. Yeah, yeah. How long did you guys fall? All the way to the house? All the way to the house, and then until he got out of the out of, until he got out of the out of the uh, out of the Bronco. Out of the Bronco goes into the home. Yeah, uh, it's getting at, at one. Yeah, it was dark. Yeah, yeah. But at one point, when he's coming down the road, he's right into the sun. Not for me. It was it was already starting to get overcast and cloudy. Oh boy, that was fine. Right no, for what I was doing, it was great. Right. So. He gets out of the car. We've we basically got a traffic pattern set up around the house with like <laughs> 20 helicopters. <laughs> and it's getting dark. And we're running low on fuel. So I said, let's, let's go back to the airport, get this stuff shipped. And, you know. How long have you guys been up? A couple hours? A couple hours. Oh, boy. So we get back to Santa Monica. The airspace is now reopened. We get the helicopter service thing, get the film that I had so far, off to get it shipped. And I call Heinz, who's now in the office. He goes, um, no, get back up. I go, why? He goes, I want you to follow him to the, uh, 
to the uh, share to the to when he gets booked. And I go, Heinz, it's the middle of the freaking night. He goes, I don't care. You may get a picture out of it. Okay. You ever try shooting a 30th of a second at F2.8 at yeah, ASA yeah. 3200 from the air? Not happening. Made a picture of him in the booking room through the window. He's small, but I got a picture. What'd you, 300? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many helicopters were up? At that point, just me and a couple of the news copper choppers and a couple of PD cop choppers. So. How much do you think that, that cost them? Oh. Ten grand, easy in helicopter time. Right, and they spent it. Those heydays. Oh, they spent it. They'd spend that today for that for that kind of story. They'd spend that today. Right, but it's amazing. Like, just do it. Get up there, take the pictures, yeah. do it. I quote, I don't care right. what it takes. And, and just, that quote meant something. <laughs> oh yeah. It wasn't like okay, but check with Terry first, Mm-mm. and then get a hold of, no. and then send me a quote, no. and then it was go. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. That trial's another mark for you innovating the remote camera in the courtroom. Yeah, it was it was interesting. My my contribution was the bracket that we put the camera on. But I was also the one who helped come up with the idea of just doing it. Because the, they limited the courtroom to uh, to the camera, three right? photographers, right? Uh, and the uh, court TV remote. So they, they limited it. Um, I was also in the courtroom a couple of days shooting live while somebody else was running the remote. I never ran the remote. AP did it most of the time. How, did, how was the remote idea thought of? It was actually Glenn Andrews from Nikon came up with the camera. So we knew what it was is that Heinz is really funny. The, reasons, the reason anybody got into the courtroom was Heights coming in and negotiating it for everyone. Sports Illustrated is negotiating for the news people. Because Heinz, dr- yeah. The director of photography. at Sports Illustrated is the one who got everybody into the courtroom with stills. How? What did he do? Yeah, he went to Edo and he pleaded his case. That would have been one hell of an interesting conversation. Well, there's a lot of things that happened with Edo that were interesting conversations. I ended up having... <laughs> He, uh, I came in one day and he looked at the, uh, the list of people and he goes, can I see Maxon? I go, yeah. He goes, I walk up. I said, did I do anything wrong? He goes, no, your parents and my parents both live at Leisure World and they know each other. And my <laughs> parents said, if you're ever in the courtroom, I should say hello. Our parents are at Leisure World together. <laughs> Yeah. Dad beat my dad in shuffleboard on yeah. Tuesday. And- Apparently they, they <laughs> putted together on the golf course or something. But I said, okay. I'm, he goes, he goes, yeah. Well, there's another story that he didn't know who I was when we put the camera in. And then Ron Tanawaki, I don't, I'm not going to get into this story. <laughs> it's not worth it. But Okay. So you build the plate that the camera built. The, I built the bracket okay. for it and, and installed the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Along was, with Ron. And it was film. Yeah. We have 36 exposures. I take your time and hit the right button. Yeah, it was single frame. We knew what the exposure was going to be. We could zoom it. No, we couldn't. Yeah, we we could focus it and we could pan and tilt it. I believe we could zoom it. Wow. That is, I mean, this is 92? Yeah. 92, 92. Oh, and there was a television camera in the viewfinder. So we could focus it and everything. Yeah, I basically have built those. I've got... 
five or six of those now because I, I did the uh, I did the prototype um, robotic cameras for the London Olympics for Nikon. So I had to build all. Yeah, I, but that's 2012. We're talking in the 90s. 90s There's no yeah. digital yet that's being revolutionary. No, but, for the but a lot of the stuff that we were using was spinoffs of stuff that was done for National Geographic. Right. That I had contacts with. But I, you know, Ron Andrews built the thing. So I, I'm not going to take credit for the camera. No, 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 no. But you, you, were, you had yeah. your hands in something that was really interesting. Well, it was interesting. my idea to say, let's put up a remote camera. And that's what Heinz negotiated. Was nobody thinking that? Just to make it easy for the pool for everybody? No. How did they lotto the three seats? We rotated. Okay. Well, there was one guy who had it the whole time from one of the uh, uh, local minority newspapers. Okay. Then like there, Pignon or something? Or? No, it was one of the, the black papers. Oh, I don't know which right. one it was. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, Compton? It Com- may have been. It may have only been two. And then there was a wire services. Compton Sentinel? Something like that? Yeah, it was Getty. Yeah, Compton something or other. But um, I think there were three seats. I think there was agency seat and the newspaper seat. SI was considered an agency seat. And all of the stuff, the film that we shot would be taken to A&I. They'd process it and burn photo CDs of it. That's how they distributed it. (laughs) CDs. So, your time at Kodak, what was that like? (laughs) The best 13 years and the worst 13 years of my life. And And that's a lot of times what's said. Like, so... What was the best and what was the worst? The best was working with some of the brightest people I have ever met and being able to create new stuff. The worst was the politics. When there was a lot of it? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody expected me to last there more than three minutes. I ended up there 13 years. People just think you were... Oh, no. It was was the corporate antibodies. Right. Fisher's just project. Yeah, but the interesting thing that ended up happening is Fisher liked me, took care of me while he was there. The person that came after him, Dan Karp, liked me and kept me there until I basically told him his strategy was wrong and that he's wrecking the company. I was honest with him. And you need guys like that. Yeah, and that, that he and I to this day don't speak. Okay? That's we okay. were friends. That's I look right. at, I've got pictures of him tending bar at my house during a party. And his daughter is a very fine photographer. And, you know, we were friends. But, okay. Then all of a sudden comes this guy named Antonio Perez. Antonio is a Spaniard. He ran the printer division at HP. Okay. At one point was asked to take over as the head of Apple, and he didn't. And he came, and I had just started working on this strategy around systems and the CFO of the company Bob Brust was a friend of mine who looked at the thing and he goes I got to get you in front of Antonio and I go okay so he sets up this meeting with myself and my person Jane who is my operations person who put the (coughs) presentation together and we go into Antonio's uh, conference room, which is actually used to be George Eastman's office. 
Wow. Yeah, which is intimidating enough to yeah. be there. I'm surprised that wasn't an enclosed museum. Yeah, and we gave the presentation. And I had heard that Antonio was a golfer. So, after the last thing, my screensaver was Tom Watson chipping out of the 17th hole at the U.S. Open in Pebble Beach to beat Jack Nicholas. Oh, yeah, Peter loves to talk about that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that comes up, he goes, you know, the presentation you gave was shit, but that picture's great. Where'd you get it? <laughs> and I go, I shot it. And by the way, we got into this whole thing. He goes, you're a photographer? Yeah. I said, yes. And my other life. And he goes, oh, okay. So I said, hey, the LPGA uh, thing at uh, Locust Hill is next week. You want to come as my assistant? He goes, you can make that happen? And I go, sure. So the next weekend, he comes out as my assistant at the LPGA. At a Kodak. Sunday night. He goes, what are you and your wife doing tonight? I go, nothing. He goes, why don't you guys come over for dinner? We have been close friends since that day. I mean, really close. That's special. Yeah. I mean, I could call him right now and just ask him what the hell's going on. And he had me, he's, he's the reason there's a lot of stuff that went on at Kodak that I was involved with. The graphic communications business, I was the person who put together the strat, one of the strategies for it, along with the, they hired a guy named Jim Langley. We became friends. We went up to his uh, whiteboard one day and we put together a $4 billion business. I was his second hire. Jeez. And I did that for two years. Then they, uh, they moved me back to research where I was um, the director of, I don't even remember my title anymore, but I had close to 4,000 people reporting up through me. Some of the smartest people you'll ever meet, but they just can't right. solve a problem. Uh, and then when I finally, they finally retired me best thing that ever happened after 13 years I was only supposed my first contract was for three years they extended it to a five year and they extended another five years and then that was when the, the company was ramping down and they mercifully retired me before everything went to hell right was there any thought of you know Fisher putting you in the quote unquote photo division or working on digital or oh, working I, no, on... I was no I, I I was able to work on everything right yeah so I worked on that stuff but so a lot of people don't realize Kodak invented the first digital camera Kodak Kodak developed Steve Sasson invented along with his lab technicians who need to get the credit absolutely um, the first digital camera okay we had the first practical digital camera which we built for Apple Okay. The reason Kodak didn't make it in the digital world had nothing to do with technology. It had everything to do with business. You just couldn't get the margins out of digital that you could out of film. Right. And the company was set up with the way things were written off and things were designed and things were built that you had to have this huge margin. 
Because weren't they making a ton off of the chemistry oh, and yeah. the paper oh, oh, and yeah. printing? You had you had profit margins that were ridiculous. Just the only thing that was better than their margins was illegal drugs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You can't sustain yeah. that. Yeah. No, you can't sustain that. And they and I, I don't want to get into some of the inside stuff, but they just made a lot of decisions that were made for themselves and not for everybody else later on. And Antonio had to try to clean it up and they ran out of money. I've heard a lot of good things about him. Do you think if he came in 15 years earlier, he could have... No, if he would have come in five years earlier. He could have write the ship yeah, or because after evolve it. Yeah, because after Fisher tried to do digital, Dan Karp came in and said, let's expand the benefits of film. And he right. put me on this program... And the day before the presentation, I went to everybody and said, don't give the presentation. It can't be done. We're blowing smoke again. Yeah, we're blowing smoke. So the guy who was in charge of film took the presentation, rewrote it that night, and presented something we didn't even agree with. Oh, man, that's so painful. Yeah, but what they didn't know, it had already given it to the, uh, the president of the division. And he knew what our, well, my feelings anyway were. Okay. And... I'm amazed I survived that day. Right. But, you know, sometimes they need guys like that that are saying no when everybody's saying yes or you can't do this and not always say you can't. So to tell you how weird it was, my first six months there, they have a thing called the Strategic Quantification, or SQ. And somebody at my level would never be invited to it, but Fisher invited me to it. And everybody goes around and says what they need for their budget for the next five years and what they're going to work on and all of this. Right. So after two days of looking at stuff that just made absolutely no sense to me because I'm not an MBA, which was pointed out many times, um, or had a PhD, which was pointed out many times. Was there a lot of that? Oh, yeah. Richard, the, you're... There's a, I'll tell you, there's a good story about that after this one. So at the end, Fisher goes around to everybody and says, okay, what keeps you up at night? That's an interesting question to ask somebody. So... You know, the chemists were going, well, we need two electron sensitizing, and the health people say they need this, and this person needs this, and this person needs that. None of this is growth stuff. I said, well, keeps me up at night, and I pull my microtac out of my uh, out of the holster, and I go, as soon as somebody puts a camera in this is good enough to shoot snapshots, we're done. And it was like... Uh, and I took the phone and I threw it at Fisher. Wow. And I said, and everybody goes, it can't be done, it can't be this, it can't be that. And I said, why don't you come down to the labs? I got one on my desk. We already built it. It's just that none of you have enough foresight to understand this is what we need to do. Right, this is the future. Yeah. As crazy as it looks. Yeah, and, there's, and, the, and their whole reason was, well, it's going to cost too much for the data. And I go, that's going to be solved, guys. Right, that's Data's not Data's going to be free. And they just, and that's what it was. There's more to the story, but I had, I'm not, I still have papers saying I can't say sure. things. So. Well, it's interesting mm. that mm. the solutions were there. They mm. just didn't want to touch them no less look at them well you should have seen our version of photoshop before photoshop right again stuff was great yeah they just we had all the science we had literally 
everything. Yeah, you had enough geeks we just to figure it out. We just didn't have people that could make a business out of anything. They could do real well running the businesses that were there. But, you know, it's just, you know, just kind of the way it is. Oh, back to, you know, I was going to allude to this, uh, the thing about MBAs and PhDs. Right. I was in a meeting, Kodak Professional, and they're going over their product roadmap and all of this, and they're the marketing people and the MBAs and all of that. And I'm just sitting there going, this doesn't make any sense. So one of them says, well, if you take the matrix and you turn it 180 degrees, I said... It'd be easier for me to stand on my head than you to turn it 180 degrees. And one of the guy goes, well, that's the problem with you, Richard. You don't have an MBA. Oh. And I go, really? Okay. So I said, I'll be back in a couple minutes. So I go out, and there's this big open thing. I get up on a chair, whistle, and everybody looks over the top of the thing. I go, anybody here have an MBA? You know, half everybody raises their hand. Sure. I said, hey, I need a dozen of you. Follow me. We walk into the room, I sit them behind me, and they go, what's that? And I go, those are my MBAs, that's what I hire. I don't need to have one. End of story. Yeah, I did the same thing with PhDs. Yeah. Yeah, so, end of story. You don't always have to be the smartest man in the room as you have the smartest people and the best people working with you. Well, here's... <laughs> right, because, you know, Steve Jobs might not have been the best engineer or programmer, but he yeah. had the best people working with him. Correct. So we used to have a Christmas party once a year at my house. Right. And it was the party you wanted to be invited to. The chairman would come. We had to have Kodak security there because if you had bombed our house, Kodak would have ceased to exist. <laughs> so my mom had moved back there, and this was her first party, and she's sitting there. And one of the guys, who I've known for years goes up to my mom and starts talking to my mom about what was Richard like as a kid. He must have really been a pain in the ass. She goes, no. And then some other stuff. And he goes, see, and she goes, you guys just don't understand. He's the smartest person in the room. And I'm not just saying that he is. And I shut him up. <laughs> And I'm not, but it was really funny to hear Jim's reaction. He called me the next day. He goes, your mother said? And I said, no. And I go, well, okay. Mom's. Mom's got it. She goes, God, your mom's great. She's got an opinion. And the funny part about it is, sitting next to her was, was Antonio Perez's mother-in-law who came to the party. And they became friends. So, okay. So during those 13 years, how do you keep your toes in sports? Because you still made unbelievable photos it's not like you just okay. hung it up so here's the deal my deal with with kodak when i signed was i could still shoot for si and i could still shoot as a photographer okay okay so that ended quickly but si was nice enough to give me uh season credentials to the bills okay so that's interesting yeah i would go and shoot the bills I would also go and shoot the Olympics for Kodak after a, a few political things got taken care of because the guy who was running our Olympic program didn't like me. Oh. In fact, he hated me. So <laughs> he made sure I didn't get what I needed for like two Olympics. And then, uh, politics. Then, then the CEO stepped in and got rid of him 
and I was taken care of after that. I don't know exactly what happened, but then the guy who ran it after that didn't like me either. Like, I, I do make enemies. And it finally got, we got back to the Beijing Olympics, and so you've got Antonio and Phil Ferrasi in charge. So they just said, uh, Richard's going, end of conversation, and he can do whatever the hell he wants. And that was our last Olympics. All access, couple of Yeah, I had alone. everything that they could give me. I had my own driver. Right. But that was our last Olympics. And what was interesting about it, I was actually asked what my opinion is. So should we continue as a sponsor? And I said no. Why? What would it have benefited us? There was nothing that we were selling that anybody was buying. Right. So that's 2008. Yep. Everybody's digital who's there. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are doing, what, selling T-shirts and hats or giving them no, out? Like, med- you- it was medical stuff at that point. Okay. But, no, we're not... I, I I said there's a lot of things I can't right. talk about. But and that's it's not one of 1988. Them. It's not Seoul. We're still people no, were shooting. No, we were still right. film until '96. Right. And by the way, uh, that's when it flipped. It was '96, and then in Atlanta, and then. And that's funny because that's when the I feel the best film camera came out, the Nikon F5. Yeah. So that thing's like out. Yeah, yeah I, got, I think I've got a couple. Yeah, and then that thing's awesome yeah it's awesome but the flip was happening yeah the flip was happening look and i've told this to all these people who get on facebook and everything and say oh man i miss film blah 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 i said there is absolutely nothing that film can do that digital can't and digital just does it better look i'm shooting my normal exposures 10,000 iso i was working on film I know what it takes to get ISO. You can't get that with this. It's physics impossible. Right. What would that photo of OJ in the booking room have looked like on a new digital camera? It would have looked like he was OJ and not a blob. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have been able to shoot it at 125th of a second, not a 30th. Right. Yeah. And think about those poor lit coliseums or those night games well, and you can just the amount of money we used to spend putting in strobes right who shoots with strobes anymore except Andy Bernstein right and a couple of the team photographers do you miss the strobes though that was, no no miss them and just in the fact that when you would put something on a light table those colors did pop and they looked beautiful yeah every every time I'd get a good frame and focus <laughs> No, the, the odds now are a lot oh, better. Yes, they're much more. Well, in that's your favor. why. That's why you've got you know weekend warriors thinking they're Walter Yost. Right. Yeah. yeah, they're just fronting it with autofocus. So you're able to keep your toes in the water shooting sports. How was it back then? You're now because you're not full time a photographer. You're a Kodak employee. That's shooting this shooting that what, did you i've never did you enjoyed it or? yeah yeah i enjoyed did it gave me something to do yeah out of the office yeah get you out away. of the office yeah yeah it became impractical for me to shoot for the magazine it's, yeah, it could, did. You're mainly, be, mainly because steve fired me but uh you know he he got apparently pissed off because i quote left the magazine i don't see it quite that way but you know we've, we've had our disagreements on that sure. but no it, it, it was i couldn't take the time off 
to right. do it. Plus, I'm working five days a week, and what am I going to do? Never see my family? Right. You know, part of the reason I actually moved to Kodak was Lauren was just born, and I didn't want to be away that much. So, yeah, Look, I got lucky. Here's Daddy's postcard while I'm here yeah. and there. Yeah, yeah. So she sees it a different way, but that's okay. <laughs> Digital's coming. Yeah, digital came. Digital's came. It's coming. But when do you start implementing it into your... 2002. That's when you're starting shooting it professionally. What'd you think? I never stopped. I mean, I, I Were shot... Were you happy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even, even with the uh, limitations that those cameras had at the time, it was still better than film. And did your tinkering explode with, ooh, we could do this, we could do that, I could do remotes, I could set up... Yeah. I could do remote yeah. robotic cameras yeah. and yeah, and so how often did you do it? All the time. I, 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 it's for me. It's not any special thing. It's just a natural progression. You say that so easy, like so. I get hired at the Angels in thirteen, and you're my call to like. Okay, I need a guy that's gonna get me images from the field into the office. Hell, I offered it to you. Right, there's a guy. Here's the guy. Yeah. There's no other call. There's no one else to call. Yeah, well, yeah. I built it for me. Right. Because my agreement with USA Today was I won't edit. Right. Not 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 doing it. Yeah. I'm not going to edit. So I'll get you the pictures on the server as fast as I can and end the conversation. And your photo editor can handle the caption, crop, and yeah. color correct. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? Or how did you evolve to make it work? The, the, the remotely sending through the FTP. Nobody... I just did it. I said, well, there's no difference of plugging in here or plugging in wirelessly. It's just a wireless Ethernet connection. And it works. That yeah. thing was beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> it made my life I never, I never knew you actually liked it. Oh, for four years it made our life okay. so much easier. Okay. So much easier. Well, the other thing that made it easy at the Angels was Neil. Right. And a good IT and, team. And Tim and Eric. They knew me. I've known Tim since he was a intern. And I was his, once I got back to town, I was his go-to guy for questions. What, the ones that he didn't ask you about photography, he was calling and asking me. And we were good friends, so when we had that playoff round and they wanted to figure out what they needed to do for the photographers, we had that meeting, I think you were at it. Yep. And he said, whatever, yeah, whatever Richard wants, whatever he suggests, just do it. We'll figure out a way to pay for it. Right. We'll put it in. We'll get all the wiring and we'll get it yeah. done. Yeah, that made it that made it so much easier. We had we still have probably the best wired situation at Angels and the wireless has been there now for eight years. Right, it's been there a while. Yeah. So what was your greatest like sports moments? Because you've covered like Jordan in the locker room and you've covered you know, you have regarded as one of the one hundred great sports photos at the twins playoffs with yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. 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 Like, God. when you see that stuff, right, and I've seen your covers, and I've seen your work, and we talked about how you're just a natural capture. You're not going to go out and just let it, you let it evolve in front of you. Are there moments that you go, boy, that, that was a good, I was in the zone getting it? There's been, there's been a couple of times I've been in the zone. Okay, I'll, I'll admit that. 
not being a sports fan, a general sports fan. Right. The pictures. Pictures are what I do. It's not. Uh, am I jazzed about the Jordan picture? Absolutely. Am I jazzed about the uh, the baseball picture, which was considered one of the top 100 pictures of the century? Yeah. But I also realize 99.999% of it's luck. Sure. Yeah. Being at the right place at the right time. Because the Jordan photo, right, they kind of put you in the locker room. You didn't shoot the game, the finals. Right. They put me in the locker room. And the reason they put me in the locker room is that Brian McIntyre from the league trusted me. Right. You know, he basically... It was a relationship. It was a relationship. It's the same situation with the cover I got at the uh, Final Four in Seattle. I was the only photographer up until that point who was ever allowed a roaming credential at the Final Four. And it's because of my relationship with uh, uh, Dave Kaywood. They trusted me not to do something stupid. How much of those relationships over your career helped you? Oh. Put you in a spot? Gave you a moment? A lot of times. A lot of times. And now I'm the one granting that permission to other people. Right. So I do it very judiciously. Through the BCS championships yes, and the Rose CFP, Bowl. yeah, CFP the Rose Bowl and all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, so now you're the guy, the older the, uh, the elder statesman, statesman that yeah. says, oh, Richard, you don't know me, but this is a good kid from the paper. Trust yeah. him, he's from. Yeah. And this is, and, this is I, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to Rich Clarkson because he set the example for me. That's what he did. Right. And with a lot of people. I'll never, I will never be as good as Rich. I'll never be able to walk in his shoes. But he, that's the one thing he taught me. And then a guy named Bill Beebe, who was my mentor at the Santa Monica Outlook, uh, <coughs> taught me humility, uh, if you can call it that. But um, he was also the one who said, at a certain point, you got to start giving stuff back. That's interesting. So that's why I'm doing the elder statesman thing, because I want to make sure that the generations following me, and even the guys that are out there working today, um, are taken care of. What advice do you have for photographers out there right now that are coming up? Hey, good luck. It's a different profession. I, I, you know, I don't... Not sports, but photographers. I don't talk about that much because I really don't know. I really don't know. I don't know the photography business side of things as I used to, and it's constantly morphing. And I really, you know, you've, and I guess it's always been this way. You got to find your niche, mm -hmm. and I can't find your niche for you. You got to find it yourself. Are you a ferocious reader? Because I would no. see you're not. I used to be, but I haven't picked up a book in ten years. You look like a guy that never doesn't have a book somewhere, just because all all of what you know. It seems like you're just constantly absorbing or eating or nope. devouring information. No, nope. I'm I'm a I watch uh, cable news. <laughs> well, okay. So then, where does your natural innovation and creating come from? Just just getting in there comes out of my brain, comes out of my head. I'll see something somewhere and say, mm, I can do that better. I'm not nearly as creative now as I used to be. That's frightening. <laughs> Just because, I mean, we're 10 feet from your workshop. Yeah. And you've got just, you know, three unbelievable spaces. Well, let's put it this way. I don't think I am. Right. I might be. How much square feet are these your workshops? Eh, about 800. I wish I had 1,000. I wish I had 2,000. Then it's four. I'd then fill it's five. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the next tool you would love to find for your workshop? 
Wow. But you just told me about that 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 um, piece you got. That was, um, are you looking for something? No, not really. I'm pretty. Oh, maybe it's some slip rolls. <laughs> but I, you know, I've got. I, you know, I've spent the last ten years. We moved back here ten years ago now. No, eight years. Your quote unquote retirement move. Yeah, and you know, I spent the first three years building the shop. You know, what do guys do with shops? They build them. Uh huh. Yeah. Build them out. Yeah. What's your greatest achievement in the business world? Because I'm not going to say photography because you're you're very broad. I would say the legacy that I left at Kodak with graphic communications business because it's the only thing that's left. <laughs> <laughs> and we started that from zero and built it, and it's the only thing that's left. I'd say my one of the other achievements is I, I co-hold the patent on cloud storage of images. That's a good one to have. Yeah. What are you tinkering on now? What what's uh... the stuff I'm working on now is uh, both cellular and Wi-Fi based radio systems for sports photographers to use at events. Is that more advanced than what I use? Then, so oh what? yeah, oh yeah. What's, yeah. What? Well, one I've got a cellular version that you can use basically anywhere in the world. Okay. I call it the almost anywhere pack because if as long as you can connect to a cell tower, you can transmit pictures from your belt. Are you selling those? Yep. Yep. What do they go for? Uh, nine fifty. Where can people find it? RGMsinnovations.com. How quickly do you, do you just you personally build them, or yeah. is it like yeah, I can turn them, I can, as long as I've got, yeah, I can get them turned around in a week. How big are they? Fanny packing? Uh, a little smaller. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I How much do they dump out? What can you? What's the? It depends on the cell service. Okay. Yeah. And then there's the other version, the Wi-Fi version, which I call the DMN bridge system. And it's basically what you used at Anaheim, but upgraded. Okay, so you gotta be on a Wi-Fi system yeah, for it to work. Yeah, you gotta be on your on that Wi-Fi system, okay. the particular one. And I've got three versions of it. One that runs at uh, five gigahertz, ones that run at 3.625 gigahertz, and the other one that I'm testing right now that runs at 60 gigahertz. <laughs> which is a new band that they just opened up, which is being tested at, uh, um, oh, God, what's the name of the building? In uh, MetLife okay. in New York. And, of course, at Angels, because their IT department lets me do what I want to do there to test, because they see there's an advantage to it. Sure. And the Dodgers are just putting a system in, I think. They got nothing else to do right now. Yeah, nobody does. <laughs> so, what do you want to tinker in? Where do you want to put your hands in next? Or just I don't know. where it kind of evolves for you? Like, I don't know. Just kind of I, don't, I, just, I just put, built a transfer switch for our generator so if we lose power, the house doesn't go down. And that kind of stuff. Richard, I can't thank you enough for this time. I am truly blessed to have you as a friend. Oh, okay. You have done unbelievable stuff for the business, photo business, pers other young photographers coming up. Thank you. I mean, this time was really, really wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. This was a pleasure for me also. All right. Good luck. Thank you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Please hit the like button where you found us. You can follow us 